warning, Dub Talk has bad words and other things that may not be okay for everyone. And be careful because we may talk about every everything for the promised Neverland and some other shows too. We might run ruin something for you if you're not careful enough. And don't forget the opinions. Opinions in this show are from the people on the show and don't mean they're the same for everyone at Dub Talk. Hello, one and all, and welcome to Dub Talk, the show where a group of kids get together, plan our escape from Hardy's basement, and find a way not to become a part of a Hebrews National. My name is Megan, and tonight I have with me my good friend Steph. What the fuck is. What? I've got Andrew. Hey guys, y'all like steak? God damn it. And I got Jet. I've been playing this red for the last six years. <laughs> oh. How have you been planning it for six years? This manga is barely even four. My time has come! <laughs> and so have I! <laughs> Tonight, coming from coming to you live from a random studio orphanage, it's time to talk about the promised Neverland. The dub for the 2019 show by Cloverworks. As directed by the dude who did fucking Elfin Lead. Oh, God. And Sound of the Sky. He also did Sound of the Sky. And dubbed by Onaplex in the Year of Our Lord 2019. Huzzah! And not even the span of a season difference, either. It, it was, it can't, it's like, basically three months after. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah I'd say the fastest turn, I'd say the fastest turnaround I've seen with them besides this was probably the Erase dub. Probably. Sadly, this dub was created uh, off the hopes and sacrifice of one rascal's dream. Oh. Oh no. And now Andrew's depressed. Topical. I've never even seen the show, but. I haven't either, but I know you've been wanting to see the, a dub for it. That's a rant for another time that I did on another podcast. But for now, I'm here to talk about children trying to run for their lives. Like Chicken Run. <laughs> uh. But with less top, with less, uh, what's his nuts? Less British claymation and more... Dead bodies? More dead bodies, yeah. Well... <laughs> hey kid, wanna be the dead body? Honestly, all, all jokes aside, the body count in this series is not actually that high, but... From what we see, it's actually minimal outside of nightmares. That's it. Anyway, while well, these two decide to do my job for me... <laughs> Sorry. Let's get a quick rundown of The Promised Neverland. The Promised Neverland follows the story of Emma, who is the main character and nobody else! <laughs> uh, if only the anime knew that. Uh, follows the story of Emma, Ray, and Norman, th the three smartest kids at the Gracefield house. One day after their little sister Connie gets put into adopted out into a foster family, they go out in the night to retrieve her to return her bunny to her because it's her prized possession, only to learn that their lives are a lie. Just like every kid in a capitalistic society. Ooh. Uh, you're not wrong. 
After learning the secret, the th Emma and Norman decide to try to es- <laughs> After they learn the secret, HONK! <laughs> Trump the Poon takes them out and unfortunately turns Emma into- <laughs> Turns Emma into a folly ball girl. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> because Emma Seiyu is Yachi from fucking uh, uh, Haikyuu, apparently. <laughs> oh, no. Um, no. Uh, after they find the secret, Emma and Norman plan to escape and enlist the help of Ray, who's known the secret the entire time. Can the kids escape? Maybe. We don't know. Find out tonight as we talk about the dub of The Promised Neverland. I'm pretty sure me giving a shitty plot summary might have given Jet an aneurysm. <laughs> That's a perfectly fine plot summary I have. <laughs> so tonight with me, I have two people who have, I think, read the manga since it started uh, being issued in Weekly Shonen Jump. I quite literally started my Shonen Jump subscription, I think, around the time the first or ch second chapter of uh, Promised Neverland came out. While I am a big My Hero fan, I can't exactly say I was there from the beginning with My Hero. I can play that card, however, with the Promised Neverland. And I will. And hopefully eventually, Chainsaw Man. <laughs> Here's open. Here's open. Ah, <laughs> uh, Chainsaw Man. There's like a small niche of us who fucking love Chainsaw Man. I don't even know what the hell that is. Exactly. It's a manga in Shona Jump. It's a, it's a manga in Shona Jump. Somehow I'm kind of like in the middle of that one. Yeah, we're not everybody can be Amon who fucking adores that. And then there's me and Steph who read the manga, but we're not there from the beginning and stuff. No. So tonight we are going to talk about the anime, which had its run on Toonami. Uh, it was the dub exclusively ran on Toonami. And as of recording this, I think you can only watch like the last six episodes. Only for a couple of days anyway. And then by the time this episode goes up, they're going to be gone. Unfortunately. Oh, don't worry. I'm sure Anifax will have their $200 set out eventually. It'll be at least 120 for a 12 episode show. Um, anyway, before we get started tonight, I do want to give a shout out to some of our Patreons. We have our $5 Patreons, Michelle Travis and Nico Robin, but with Yowie Hands. <laughs> and our $10 Patreons, Carly Latowski, Brad Mitchell, Jared, Marissa Lenti, and Weeby. So tonight, like I said, we're going to be talking about the dub of The Promised Neverland. This is going to be a review episode, so there will be uh, no predictions just for the sake of time. So let's just get right into it with our director and our writers. Our director is Steve Staley. Our writers are Tyson Reinhardt for episodes 1 through 3 and Erica Mendez for episodes 4 through 12. Steve Staley, you'll know as directing Kakegarui, Aiko Incarnation as it was revived after being found dead in Miami, and <laughs> Budget Garo, I mean Sword Guy. <laughs> nice. Tyson Reinhardt did scripts for Kakigurui Season 2, Serious the Jaeger, and Heavy Object. And our other writer, Erica Mendez, did series such as Fate Apocrypha, Little Witch Academia, and Super Sailor Moon as the movie. Uh, so tonight, you know what? I think I'm gonna let... You know what? I'm gonna let Jet roll this off because I think out of all of us here, Jet has the biggest promised Neverland cred of all of us. Yes. He really does. <laughs> I would agree with that. The reason I'm, I even started Prom Promised Neverland in the first place was because of Jet. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, yeah. Uh, Jet, uh, I'm gonna uh, say it. I'm gonna say this now in the nicest way possible. Meat needs to be tenderized, and the best way to do it is with salt. Oh. Yeah. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you're wondering to yourself, hey, wait, why is it Jet hosting this episode? Um. Originally, he was going to. There are uh, reasons. Because there's no way we would take that. <laughs> 
Yes, I, uh, yes, originally I was going to, but then I thought to myself, you know, I don't want, I don't want this whole episode to be negative. So I, uh, so I pass it off, and, well, here we are. Uh, anyway, uh, my thoughts, uh, so ever since the uh, Kakarui dub came out last year, I've been pretty happy with Steve Saley's track record as a director, so I was pretty sure right off the bat that dub was going to be in good hands. Sure enough, the, this dub direction here is pretty solid, and while there's a couple of roles here I found maybe a little bogged down thanks to typecasting, uh, that one isn't necessarily on him, but I thought he was able to get some pretty strong performances out of his actors despite that. Uh, I will say though that while I found the direction like to be pretty good overall, it never like completely wowed me and the dub. Kind of also lost a couple of points for me by having like maybe a couple of the child voices here sound a little unconvincing, like uh, uh, like, for the sake of time, we're not talking about Connie, but, uh, that was not a very convincing child voice, I'm sorry. Well, thankfully Connie was only in episode one, so... Then she did! I know, but that was supposed to be a sad moment, and I was, like, a little too distracted by the voice. Fair. Anyway. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, uh, moving on to the script, I also thought Erica did a pretty solid job here. Uh, she's also had a really solid track record with adaptive script writing and as someone who's read this particular stretch of the original manga a lot. I thought she got the material pretty well and you can tell she studied it pretty closely, which I appreciate. Uh, if I do have one problem with the script though, it's less to do with anything she did and just more that I kind of hate how the anime was kind of written in general compared to the manga. Uh, I won't go into specifics right now because again, We'll be here for a while if I do that. Uh, basically, the manga is like a lot of like internal monologues, that, uh, you know, all the back and forth stuff you saw in Death Note, that sort of thing. Uh, the anime cut pretty much all of that out for whatever reason to focus more on the horror angle. And uh, yeah, I wasn't a terribly big fan of that. Again, that's obviously not Erica's fault, and for what she had to work with, I thought she did fine. So uh, yeah, writing a direction front, I'd say this stuff is good, but not quite great. Uh, but I do feel like it was maybe slightly held back by how the show was adapted to begin with, since I didn't think they got the emotional parts of it quite as well as the manga did. Uh, anyway, Brett done. Someone else go. So, Steve De Staley, the only dub of his I've honestly heard has probably been Kakegurui, and if there's one thing I learned about Kakegurui, is that he's very capable of getting certain kinds of emotions out of his actors, especially when it comes to eccentric reactions of excitement, horror, fear, and a couple other things. Uh, Kakegurui is a very strange and gay. sometimes inappropriate show. Let's put it like that. Um, but it's gay. It's pretty gay, yes. Um, it's basically Yandere lesbian gambling. That's what Kakegurui is. That's really what Kakegurui is. That just went way over my head. I haven't seen Kakegurui. Watch the opening alone, Steph. Oh, I've seen the opening alone. That explains everything you need to know about Kakegurui. Good to know, so I don't need to watch it then. No, you, okay, okay, no, you are watching it. Anyways. <laughs> Shit! So, so back on track of my original thing, Steve Staley on Kakegurui proved to me that he is a director who is very capable in regards to eliciting strong emotional reactions out of his actors, and I'd say he is very much capable of doing that with his ensemble cast here. Uh, the main characters, the our main three leads, uh, our antagonists, and several of the supporting characters have some very strong emotional reactions, 
and do a very splendid job of selling me the terror, their motivation, sometimes some of their goofier childlike moments, as well as just the tension, the atmosphere, and their delivery, and really convincing you these are kids with giant tasty brains that are trying to escape out of this place. And all of them sound pretty good. I say where this dub, like, the entire ensemble sounds really strong. The only time I think it ever takes me out is a couple of the offhanded, uh, child ensemble. Like, I actually thought Connie was okay. I thought Connie was pretty good. I, my, most of my issue came through the the unnamed younger children, especially the ones where it's like, oh, please get up, Norman. I'm like, why would, Norman. Why would Norman. you say it like that? That's just... I don't know if it's, you're trying to sound very cutesy childlike, but I found that was very distracting because I heard that once or twice where it's just like, oh, Norman's going away. It's like, why would you say Norman? Is that just, is that just a teeny, teeny, teeny bopper trying to be cute? Can I, don't I just interject for two seconds? You may interject for three. Thank you. So... I rewatched the first half of the show recently and with Andrew present in the room. When that came up, I pointed it out and it started bugging him the rest of the goddamn time. <laughs> it's just like, it's man. like the entirety of the ensemble. Like most of them sound okay. Like uh, Toma, Lanyon, uh, Nat, Anna, they sound fine. It's just, there's Everybody a couple, there's a couple of smaller children that are sometimes not as convincing as smaller children. It's not a big issue because for the most part, they don't really have that much to do. And like when a scene needs to focus on a smaller child in particular, uh, they sound fine. Like uh, the, the thing in episode 12 where Jemima was getting like very terrified that, oh no, I have to try and zip line down this dangerous cavern. Zip line to freedom, bitches. And yeah, she sounded genuinely, like, terrified and convincing. Like, a lot of the reactions, and I'll go into a lot more of the specific emotional uh, characters later, but I'd say, like, this is a really good dub, the direction's very good. The script does a really good job where these kids still sound like kids, but also very much, like trying to make sense of their situation, play their part. There's a couple little zinger lines in some of the big reveals that I think are executed exceptionally. And you can very much tell that Tyson does some really good work and Erica especially is putting some really great work. And she's clearly somebody who has done her homework and does a good understanding of how these characters think, how they should be acting, and how they would act in this world and adaptation. And I'd say overall, the direction of this dub and the script and adaptative work is solid for what the anime is doing. Can I make a very tasteless joke, please? Where there's probably gonna be quite a bit. It so won't be the part. last time tonight, so just go for it. Uh, I guess you were stowing stuff the Promised Neverland as you were trying to get into her Promised Neverland. ha. <laughs> <sighs> For those of you who are new to this podcast, hello. Stephanie and I are in a relationship, so yes. Megan here will make sure to take all the inappropriate pot shots here. Just making sure you're yep. aware. Let's get on with the show. Because they will never take an awkward pot shot back at me and Patrick. Oh, watch. We'll, we'll sneak a silent one in there. It's going to be great. Like a fart? Absolutely! Yeah. <laughs> 
Ah, Stephanie, what? Are, you're already talking. Go ahead. <laughs> God damn it. Um, where do I where do I start with this? It's well, at the beginning usually. <laughs> I know that much. Shut up. So this is probably the third time I've watched the show. I've seen it once in Japanese and twice in the dub at this point. Um, and as someone who, again, I also have been reading the manga, but I basically follow the manga as the volumes come out. I'm not one of the cool kids like Jet and Andrew, and I don't have Shonen Jump, so I can't read it weekly. Um, I'm not one of those cool get kids. Your, just get your boyfriend's password. So to add pay, if you are interested in some crap to Tony Jeff, you can do so for the very low price of literally $2 a month. <laughs> I have enough subscriptions. Stop pirating kids. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I have enough subscriptions Stop, as you is, You have a boyfriend. Use him as a sugar daddy to read Promise Neverland. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, anyways. <laughs> so, here's what's very weird and interesting to me. So this is actually the first time I've seen a show that's directed by Steve Staley and one written by Erica Mendez. Tyson Reinhardt, obviously, I'm familiar with a few different ways, but um, for my first outing with Steve Staley as a director, honestly, this is a very solid, probably leaning on a strong dub this year. From this year, um, there are a few minor setbacks, mostly in the case of the smaller children. Um, that we don't really hear or talk about that much. Uh, Connie, in particular, was 50-50 to me. Like, I could see Jet's point of it, but I was also... I was kind of like, eh, it's fine. She was only there for one episode, which is depressing. And to Jet's point, it did kind of take away a little bit from the emotional aspect of the and context of the situation, which I can see that. Poor um, Connie, she was only two days from retirement. Yeah. She worked hard at, uh, like, the Lego office. God, we're gonna run into uh, a character very quickly who's all, who was also two days from retirement. Um, but honestly, I think this, on the directing side, is rather solid. What's interesting is it, the dub itself also uses a couple of fresher-faced L.A. actors as two out of the three main leads, and I say L.A. actors specifically because one of them had moved from another place. Um, and we'll get to that in a little while. And it also, the three of them, I have to give credit to uh, um, for Emma, Norman, and Ray. They have an interesting balance and, an, and very fantastic chemistry bouncing off of each other. I really enjoyed all the interactions with the three of them together. And there's other one other flaw <laughs> with the show that I might have picked up on, but we're going to talk about it with one of the characters. Uh, bottom line, there was a twinge of an accent in there when there shouldn't have been. <laughs> and I'll get to that. Um, Writing-wise, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, it seems to follow the Viz translation pretty faithfully. Uh, kind of. Like, for the most part, it does, but only for, like, what the anime keeps in. Exactly. Like, <laughs> considering the adaptation here... What it uses, it, the writing-wise for Tyson and Erica, they pretty, they're pretty faithful to the Viz translations for what the anime is, which is great. Um, in a series like this, given it's a very interesting setting, it's not, like, futuristic in a way. It's maybe like a utopia danger 
situation. I don't fucking know how to Mo describe it. I think modern, like modern dystopia in the future. Thank you, modern dystopia. Uh, yes. Oh boy, you're. Oh boy, you're already. You're already about to get me on a rant. Jet. Uh, oh no. Jet. No, Jet. Go, go, go. Right, no, I want to hear it. This is a dark fantasy manga. It is not a thriller. It it is for this arc, Jet. Yes, it is technically a thriller for this arc, but in general, it's a dark fantasy. Wait until Goldie Goldie Pond, and then we'll go fantasy on it. So, so yeah, and uh, the fact that the anime like never quite realizes that is kind of like the big summation of all my problems with it. Yeah, but. the an <laughs> the anime itself kind of made it seem more of that thriller, which I mean. Is okay, I guess. I don't actually think it's I bad guess. for this particular yeah, like, arc. See, like, I, if they see, yeah, my thing is, if it's for this arc, like I could get over it. But like, the like literally the rest of the story is so different that like if they try to maintain aesthetic, this aesthetic for the rest of it, it will actively ruin everything. So, which we'll see where it goes. But I will give it a pass for Goldie, not Goldie, Gracefield, Gracefield. Yeah, Gracefield, I can understand. If they do, if they go in the same direction though with Goldie Pond, then we're gonna have an issue. Um, Cause Goldie Pond, thriller, it is not. <laughs> um, dark fantasy, absolutely. Um, but yeah, for what the adaptation of the, the anime is itself, um, the directing and the writing side, they do actually rather well with what they have. Um, and I forgot to mention this part too on the directing side. The young boys, with the exception of Dawn, all sound like boys despite being voiced by women. Well, even in the Japanese, I think Dawn was the only yeah. male male seiyu for the kids. I think so too. I am. It's funny. Kind of, it's funny looking back. I actually half expected uh, Norman and Ray to be cast as men. Like, like I'm not gonna lie. I could have very easily seen Yuki Kaiji playing Ray. <laughs> That's exactly who I was thinking too. I'm glad they didn't. <laughs> oh wait, no. Why would you make Yuki Kaji Ray when Kokuyuchiyama's right there? Oh, yeah. oh that would have been even worse. I say that as somebody who really likes Kokuyuchiyama, so I like both of them, but they would have been terrible fits. <laughs> oh God. But yeah, point. Does is... Ayuma Murase get to be Norman? Oh God, Megan, stop. God damn it! Can I finish? My don't part? even, don't even yell at me. I'm Murase can throw his voice really high. Fuck you, fight me. Uh, but yeah, if if Don was voiced by a woman, I'm glad this not this was not a thing. It would have sounded very weird. Don is the only one whose balls dropped at this point in time. Yeah, I mean, because he's realistically. Ten, closing on eleven, probably. Yeah. Uh, technically, Norman and Ray are older than he is, but yeah. Right, but given the character design and the personality, I think it would have been a really we weird choice to cast a female actress. Oh uh, yeah, uh, yeah, um, I grabbed this egg. <laughs> yeah, that part I, I I feel like it would have been very weird given Don's design personality. But yeah, in terms of directing and the writing, like it's definitely one of the stronger doves that I've seen so far this year. Um. That's at least a new show, not a sequel or a prequel or a spinoff. But, um, yeah, like, I was, I'm still surprised that they managed to do a quick turnaround on this one, on an Aniplex title. Like, that's fantastic. <laughs> like, not even, not even Demon Slayer is getting that fast of a turnaround. And, like, we know it's getting a dub the same year it came out from, like, Autoplex, which is insane to me. I mean, yeah. it's, okay, that's, that's another discussion for another time. But, I yeah, know. hey, cool. But yeah, bottom line, I think the dub, f 
for an adaptation like this anyway, um, I think is rather solid leaning towards very strong to me. Um, and I enjoy the ever-loving shit out of it, so I'm good. I actually think I got more enjoyment out of the show in the dub than I did in the sub. Same! Um, I, I say this as somebody who watched the sub week to week and fucking loved it. Um, I understand where everybody else is coming from. Like, as an adaptation, it's not- it doesn't get the tone of the series right. However, if this was, like, a standalone anime as an original concept- like, holy shit, I fucking love this show. <laughs> I also want to say for the record, I generally don't have a problem with adaptions doing things differently. I'm, in fact, I'm usually for that. I just didn't think this got the tone right. I think, yeah. I, okay, fair. I think at one point you literally texted me and goes, is this how you feel about Tokyo Ghoul, Megan? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, uh, but I still love- We all know how Megan feels about Tokyo Ghoul. Okay, look, the first two, okay, look. The first season of Tokyo Ghoul is really great. Yes. Rude is okay if you understand that they were supposed to do one thing and then the director just all but fucked off. Re is sticking some crayons up its nose. Um, it's worth noting I actually did read some of the Tokyo Ghoul manga before the anime came out, so I actually do sympathize with you, Megan. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Re 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 fucking tried, <laughs> tried its it, best it, and failed. Yeah, it, you try your best, but you don't succeed. Succeed, uh, which is not what Steve Staley did with this. Uh, I'm also not super familiar with Steve Staley dubs, which is kind of strange because I I thought I was because I I haven't watched Kakigurui. I've watched Ico's Incarnation's old dub. I watched an episode of that travesty. Literally because <laughs> Jet showed it in front of us. Because Jet made us last year. So I actually am also not super familiar with Steve Staley's work. I, I thought he directed another show that I own because I do actually own one whole Anaplex release. And we all know what it is. Um, I own nothing and I probably will end up owning this. I will, I will also, I will, I will, I will probably actually end up And Anohana. Um, but I think he did a really good job with the casting. I, uh, hang on. Quick correction I want to make there, just because, uh, for Bang Zoom dubs, they have a casting director yeah. in particular. Yeah. Oh, that's Mommy, right. Mommy Okada, yes. Sorry. Not Mario Okada, but, uh, as a voice director, I think Steve did a good job, uh, putting it together. I do think that, uh, what they said about some of the, the smaller background kids could be sometimes, but as I was plowing through this earlier today, I wasn't I wasn't super interested because I was focusing on, I think, uh, some of the best work from a really core cast of characters. There is a lot of newer actors or actors who have yet to, um, I don't want to say yet to break it big because there's some people who have been in a lot of really big name shows, but they haven't, uh, but because of the way a certain company broke up a deal and, um, and have, and mm, were, mm, mm. I'm trying to. Try to say this nicely. Certain company is being really slow about putting certain shows up mm. in their English format. Yeah. Uh, mm. uh, maybe those performances haven't been heard yet. Uh, in terms of the writing, I am super familiar both with Tyson and Erica. I've tended to be on a lot of things that Erica's written. Mostly because I've been on the Little Witch episodes and the Fate episodes and I genuinely really like her as a writer. Um, I want to say one of the things I want to compliment is that it doesn't feel like two people wrote this dub. Mm -hmm. um, especially because when I saw that Tyson Reinhardt was writing the first three episodes, my immediate thought was, oh god. Because um, I've had a mixed history with Tyson Reinhardt dubs. 
and they haven't always been good things I've said. <laughs> so I was pleasantly surprised that the writing of this dub went really well. I do notice that it is uh, closer to the Viz's translation, which is really nice. Uh, I do like that anime studios are using the Eng- especially if there's an English adaptation for a manga, they're going out and getting it mm-hmm. and keeping things consistent between it just for people who do read the manga and watch the anime. Um, I think this is a really strong dub. I think this has some of my favorite performances uh, of the year that are in a sequel or a reboot as well. So let's get on to the first group of characters because we've been at this for a while. So let's talk about the child, the myth, the legend. He could beat Jiren. He could beat Goku. <laughs> he could oh he could become bros with Jesus himself. Let's talk about our one true savior, Phil. Phil is love. Phil is life. We protect the Phil. All hail Phil. What's what's great is I laughed at the Jiren joke. I only understand it because I'm stuck watching Super on Toonami. Sorry. Uh, okay, yes, Phil is very good, but... Phil is the Phil, best. Phil could beat Goku. Phil is the best. I must protect, must protect this child. And because I also just didn't know where to put her otherwise. <laughs> Let's also talk about one of the antagonists of the series, and a key one through, I would say, the middle of the Graceville arc, Sister yeah. Crona. Sister Crona is a sister that was brought out as an assistant by Isabella. She has her own ambitions to be a mom in one one of the houses, except for the system kind of does her dirty and she deserved better. Mm. Also, wow. can I say I genuinely did not expect the pronunciation of her name to be Crona? Yes. Because every time I've read the manga, when I was reading the subtitles, I always thought it was Sister Crone. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, literally in my mind, I keep thinking it sounds like Crone. Yeah, but it's Crona, apparently. So we'll, we're going to go with the official translation. It makes me think of the Soul Eater character that is an absolute cinnamon role and did nothing wrong in their entire life. Ever. Uh, and and got done so dirty fine. in the manga fight. And me. was done dirty in the manga, yes, indeed. Just like most everybody in the Soul Eater manga. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I never read the Soul Eater manga, so I. The best part that. of the Soul Eater manga is the Book of Ebon. Fight me. Um. So, playing Phil is Amber Connor, and playing Sister Crona is Rebecca Thomas. Uh, Rebecca Thomas has no A and N credits. I am using A and N for this. So, congratulations on having one hell of a breakout role, girl. Hell yeah. <laughs> And Phil, uh, Amber Connor, as plays a. I'm gonna butcher the shit out of this fucking name. <laughs> Uh, Matalius in Tales of Zesteria the X, Faye in Fire Emblem Shadows of Valencia, as well as Fire Emblem Heroes, the mobile game, and Mirai in Zenkai Zero. Which, the last two are games, but I needed to find something else. So... Amber Connor uh, doesn't have a lot of anime credits at Durabelle. Yes. Not to be confused with Amber Lee Connors, guys. There's two different people. I was just gonna say that. I wanted to clarify they that. They are, in fact, two different human beings. They are two different uh, actresses in the field of anime voice acting. Yes. Yes. So, uh, Andrew, since you seem keen on talking, why don't you go ahead and go first? Oh, okay. We're doing this. Uh, so, I'll say this much first. Um, I felt, as a manga reader, I saw everybody was talking about how great uh, Phil was before the anime started because, like, when the anime starts, Phil's just a cute kid. Phil is just a cute kid, and for most of the manga, he's just kind of a cute kid. 
that's just there. And the thing that makes Phil interesting to me is he is smart and mature for his age. And that when it comes to the breakout, because Emma's whole thing is that fuck compromise, fuck leaving everybody behind and only leaving the capable ones. No, it's my way or the highway. We're taking everybody. Fuck fatalism. We're getting the fuck out of here. We're using my shonen bullshit power of motivation and y'all <laughs> coming with me. We're taking everyone, including the babies. But that being that said- That we can't take care of. <laughs> She does reach a compromise in regards to the fact that she will return for the children who are four and younger in two years because by the time they are six, when they are six years old is the minimum requirement for them to be shipped out. So she leaves a sole, sole child aware of the information of the truth of Gracefield and the system and makes Phil aware. And... Phil kind of already had an idea, but he was very willing to stay behind and be the one to do this. And when he first shows up by mom's side after they're escaping the house is on fire, it's like, oh my god. Phil's actually going to be the one to do this and save everything. It's great. Now let's talk about Amber Connor, because Amber Connor does a really nice job of sounding very young, cute, and sincere, but actually sounding very convincing in the part two. Probably, like, the most standout part, though, is when Phil is being told the truth about uh, Gracefield and his genuine heartbreaking reaction where it's just like, I kind of already had an idea that this was the case. I saw Krona browsing under the bed. They were talking about a harvest. Because here's the thing, he's a smart kid that's very observant, even if he doesn't understand, and just realizing the people he loves have been harvested and killed. And that realization dawning on a small child is just so sad. Only for him to be realize, I'll do it. I trust you, Emma. I'm going to stay behind. I'm going to be the one to do this. And it's like, oh my god. Phil is the sweetest child in the world. Phil is the hero we need but don't deserve. I'll say this. Amber Connor does a really solid, splendid job sounding like a young, energetic, cutie little child. Let's talk about Krona and specifically... Rebecca Thomas, this is a breakout role for Rebecca Thomas. First of her kind, I appreciate the dub casting of this went with actors of colors with the particular characters of color, and I thought that was a neat, that was a neat appropriate choice, and I think it pays off very well with the two characters in the show. First off being uh, Sister Crona and Rebecca Thomas, and Rebecca Thomas does a lot of different sides of Krona. She does serious, she does stern, she does goofy, she does eccentric, she does scary, she does badass, she does count, like, manipulative, fearing for her life, trembling, and just... There's so many different sides to Rebecca's performance here that, like, this is a standout breakout role for her, and... There's a lot of different facets that are interesting about Krona as a character, and I'll also say that, look, Jet, I, I know you have personal opinions about how Krona is, is portrayed in the anime, but I'll say this. I think her design is a lot better. The, oh, oh, yeah, trust me, the design is, like, definitely not the problem I have. I, d I definitely think they they definitely improved okay. about it because uh, uh, 
Woof! There's there's a there's a couple of panels where Crone uh, looks a little. Yeah. Let, let, let's let's let, let's, let's just say, say it racist. I was yes. just gonna say inappropriate, but yes. Uh, but yeah, I need no. To remind myself of this. It's been a hot minute. Rebecca Thomas like does a lot of different emotional things with the character. I think the. I will agree that this is a particularly strange choice, but it does a lot, I think, to Rebecca's particular benefit, at least in showing vocal range, is when they take out the internal monologues, they have to have Krona talking to something. So they opted for the creepiest little doll thing in the world. Yes! It is oh. very... Very uncanny, and Crone is communicating with this doll a lot. And having her internal myologues discussing things with the baby. She's getting very sing-songy sometimes. She gets very like, oh my god, I'm gonna own Isabella so bad, it's gonna be awesome. And there's all sorts of- she also gets very sing-songy too, and like she's tumming like, Oh, I can't wait to own those stupid fucking kids, it's gotta be so hype. Something Sister like Crone, that. fuck them kids. Fuck them kids in F minor. <laughs> uh, anyways, so. <laughs> but for real, um, Rebecca, this, I really hope this is something that puts her on the map because there's a lot of vocal range and co complexity to this particular character that could have been really hard for somebody who's still relatively green in voice acting, and I think she nails it perfectly. All right, Jack, go ahead. So, uh, before I get super deep into my thoughts, I just uh, want to say, like, what Andrew said briefly, I'm really glad they casted a black actress for this role. Uh, like we said before, there's definitely a lot of problems with uh, Crow's design, so having an actual black person here definitely kind of helped to soften that blow a little more, and uh, just generally speaking, it was really cool getting to see someone just make their debut into anime, so that was nice. Uh, Crow is a character with a lot of energy, and right off the bat, Rebecca Thomas had to go, like, full hand to make this work. Uh, I'll be honest with saying, like, she wasn't always consistent with that for me at, at times, and while I didn't think her delivery was, like, bad, uh, there were a couple of instances where I thought maybe she could have pushed it a little more with some stronger voice direction. Um, it didn't help that I kind of wanted Crow to maybe sound, like, a little sultrier, and while Rebecca did come close to that with a few of her lines, it wasn't, like... A consistent thing, which kind of let me down down a bit, but, uh, I mean, but aside from that, I thought she did pretty good. I especially, I especially liked her delivery during Crow's demise. I thought she really nailed, like, the right mix of fear and regret that was going through uh, Crow's mind during those final moments. And, uh, it definitely made her death as sad as what the key, as what the anime was aiming for. Uh, the key word here being what the anime was aiming for, because, uh, yeah, because I gotta be honest, I really thought the anime had, like, no real idea what Crone's character was supposed to be. Uh, and while Crone's pretty over the top of the manga too, uh, she does a lot of her, as we, this happens before, she does a lot of her scheming through internal monologues and manipulation, which makes her feel, you know, more like an actual threat. Uh, but uh, since again, they don't keep the internal monologues in, in the anime, she literally screams all her plans out loud, which is like, how does nobody hear her when she's literally just, like she literally just moves right into the next room. How does nobody ever hear her? Um, so, she literally screams all her plans out loud, which just kind of makes her look silly at best and at worst, like a crazy person, which is a pretty big contrast, and it didn't kind of help that the anime kind of cut out some stuff between her and Isabella, where Akron kind of slowly realizes that Isabella's grooming Emma for the mom position instead of her, 
and that's like a pretty big part of her motivation because uh, something the manga establishes very clearly that she doesn't just want that position of power just because, oh hey, it's power, I want it. Uh, she views it as something that's necessary to her survival, that to compete is to survive. So that's also why I thought the anime kind of really dropped the ball hard on Crone's death because uh, while it is kind of sad in the manga too, it's less about, oh, her life was really hard under this system and more that, hey, she devoted her entire life to this system that betrayed her at the last second despite simply doing everything right simply because she wasn't the special chosen person, which, uh, there's uh, definitely a lot of uh, very interesting allegory, racial allegories you could get into with that, but uh, that'll probably derail this podcast, so I won't go into that. Uh, but uh, changing the context of that kind of made the problems with Crow's appearance a little worse for me. Uh, but uh, anyway, block of that tangent was, I again, I thought Rebecca's performance was pretty good, even if I thought it could have sounded maybe a little more polished, but I'm definitely looking forward to hearing more of her in the future. Uh, Okay, and with that bit of negativity out of the way, let's talk about my son, Phil, because I do- <laughs> <laughs> Phil is everyone's son. Who the fuck are we kidding? Phil, welcome to the Church of Phil. We worship. Okay, um, so yeah. Must protect. Yeah, so I definitely have mostly nothing but good things to say about my son, Phil, and Amber Carter's performance. And she's, uh, she's not a <laughs> name I'm really familiar with since... Uh, her only other major anime role before this was in the Hysteria dub, and I didn't watch that. Uh, but I thought she gave Phil a pretty good child voice, and I definitely had, I definitely didn't have any trouble buying into her in the role, so I definitely appreciated that. Uh, it certainly helps that Phil is just a precious little cinnamon role, too good for this world, and Amber does a really great job of just making him sound really energetic and fun to listen to. Uh, but at the same time, as we already established, Phil is very mature for his age, you know. Perhaps maybe a little bit too mature for a four-year-old, but again, this is a shonen, even if the anime didn't quite get the memo on that. Look, let's be real, there's like 10 to 12-year-olds that are basically thinking on level of light Yagami. I'm pretty sure the realism of, right. can a child actually be this smart, kind of goes out the door when you're trying to have an actual tense story, but eh. I mean, if Jotaro could look like a 40-year-old man and smoke like one at 15, <laughs> what's the limit? Yeah. Fair enough. Fair You're enough. right. Uh, anyway, I thought Amber did a good job of hinting that Phil's kind of more aware of the situation that he initially lets on. And when Phil, like, fully discovers the truth of the situation, Amber makes his, like, little quiet breakdown feel pretty believable. And it really just makes you want to give that poor kid a hug. And, uh, yeah, I'm definitely up for hearing Amber and more things. And, uh, yeah. Really good job. All right, go ahead, Steph. I was about to do a film impersonation that I said about Emma. Uh, that's not happening today, though. Um, uh, I want to talk about my son, Phil. <laughs> Phil is everybody's talk son! Talk about your kid. Talk about your son. Talk about my son, Phil. One of my sons. My other son is later on. Um, <laughs> Amber Connor, this is a fun... Of course, both Amber Connor and Rebecca Thomas obviously... Rebecca Thomas, this being her first, like, major, major role. Um, I've never heard of either one of these actresses either. So, in terms of Amber as Phil, she may be relatively new, but she makes Phil so adorable and so precious. I want to hug him. I want to protect him. But, um, yeah, to both Jed and Andrew's point, though, um, Phil, for as little as he is, he's a lot more observant and not as immature as people think he is, um, which is an interesting twist for a four-year-old. But um, at the end of the day, 
he's very much a good little, like, he's kind of like the heart, in a way, of the younger kids. And um, he just wants to make sure everybody's happy. He's similar to Emma in that regard, honestly. You could probably draw a parallel between Phil and Emma in terms of personality. Um, partially personality, but more on the lines of they, they follow their hearts. Emma, very much so. Um, and Amber Connor, she's just so precious and adorable. And I love every second of it. And I must protect Phil. Rebecca Thomas is Crone. Um, Rebecca, she has like some spunk and energy about Crone, Crona, uh, which is great. And it just makes it so much fun. Like some of her, despite the issue of her inner monologues being outer monologues instead thanks anime those are the funniest shit i could ever watch like granted i have to take it some a little bit seriously yes but how it's presented is so much fun to me and i loved every second of it and um but yeah she has so much spunk and energy and it does borderline ham sometimes and it sometimes can get a little over the top but it's still a lot of fun the one weird thing though with Rebecca. I don't know if, if you guys picked up on it or maybe it's just me. There were moments early on when Sister Krona appears where sometimes in those rants she slips into like a Southern Belle kind of accent. Oh, is it, uh, yeah, that, I definitely noticed that. I actually... You noticed I, that too? I actually expected... I actually half expected that to be more of a thing, but I don't know. That's the thing. It's That's a consistency thing. Like, it slipped into that once or twice early on, and then it just didn't happen again. So it, it's kind of just like, was it a deliberate choice? Was it just an accident? and they didn't go back and fix it like it's really weird like it would have been actually kind of interesting if she went with it a little bit more like twinges of it here and there that'd be kind of fun just to give her a little bit more flavor into the character um but since it's not that consistent i have to be like wait hold on why is this a thing um that's really the one criticism that i really have uh for rebecca thomas's performance otherwise than that Again, given the adap anime adaptation here, I think it's a lot of fun. She definitely had a lot of fun with the role. Um, and I would absolutely love to see her in more things. Expand her range, see her in more roles, and show her stuff, for sure. But this isn't a bad first outing. For That's definitely sh for sure. So let's talk about Amber Connor, who I literally mostly know from Fire Emblem Heroes. <laughs> because I have Shadows of Valencia and I never finished it. Good job. Fake fan. Shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> I say this as somebody who's not played it either, so I'm not one to talk. Like, don't even. At least I own Shadows of Valencia. Thank you. Fair enough. You, you, the... you people in your video games. Like, I just, it's going to sound really weird, but it's because it doesn't play like Awakening and Fates. And Fates is my favorite Fire Emblem game, which is going to get me a lot of flack. <laughs> Saying the words Fates is my favorite Fire Emblem game is gonna get my ass beat in certain communities. Anyway. <laughs> Takumi did nothing wrong! Anyway. Back on track. Um, I thought she was absolutely precious as the Phil. As Phil, our lord and savior. Our son. Our son. <laughs> Smacker of Goku. <laughs> um, Defeater of Jiren. Defeater of Jiren. Phil Phil hangs out with Gohan and lets him know what familial love really feels like. Ah! <laughs> That's just, just mean. 
I thought her, I think Phil, her shining moment as Phil is in the last episode where Phil has to, like, come to terms with the fact that, like, everybody you love is dying, Phil. We're leaving. You're stay. we need you to stay back and watch the babies. Um, just, just, where Phil starts crying, like, just, like, rips my heart out. She's so cute. She makes him sound so cute and innocent and just like, the one weird thing that the show does editing wise is every time Phil pops his head up, it's like some horror moment. <laughs> like they try to bait, like they try to bait you into this moment of, oh God, are these kids fucked? It's like, oh no, it's just Phil. Yeah, it does actually do that. It's literally like episode, episode five ends with the door opening. It's like, oh, fu- oh, it's Phil. Yeah, I honestly think that cliffhanger was really stupid. Like, most of them aren't too bad. The only time it ever Fool truly- Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me three times, this gag is dumb. I think the only time it ever truly bothered me was the dramatic close-ups of the baby with the horror sound effects, where it's like, okay, now you're just being silly. Come on. <laughs> the the baby doll, you know what I'm talking yeah. about. But we all know, like, the most heartwarming, like, I think, I think, like, the most, like, heartbreaking delivery that Amber gets in all of the show is at the end of episode 11, where Mama is standing outside the burning house, and you just see a hand grab her, and you look down, it's like, Mom? And you're like, oh, no, Phil! And then the episode ends. Also, unrelated to the performance, I love that shot of, like, the flames burning, and it's just, like, She's hugging him, and she asks, where are the others? And he doesn't even have this look of sincerity. It's that look of determination and trying to stay strong, knowing the situation he's in. Be strong! Be strong, little Phil! Be strong, Phil Chan. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So I think I can't add on to what they've said. Rebecca is really, really good for a first-time, like, kind of breakout role. I am with the, I am with the crowd. I am very happy of them casting a a black actress for a black character. Um, it's it's becoming a lot more frequent these days. There's another dub being done by another studio that we're talking about that does that too. So I want to like just thanks guys. Uh, and I brought it up. Uh, we brought it up in other shows like where if it's an LGBT show, bringing in LGBT actors to play the characters. Um, I, I also noticed the Southern Belle thing, but I thought it was, like, a thing that she was giving the baby doll that voice. So it was, like, trying- it was, like, this weird thing where I also thought it was intentional, so... I don't know if they'll clean this up for home video, if this is gonna be, like, the end all. Like, this is what's gonna be on your Blu-rays when you buy from Anaplex in, like, two years for, like, the cost of one of your kidneys. Um, I, I think that she got all of the stuff down. I really- even when I was watching this in the Japanese, and I felt for uh, Corona's Seiyu as well, that uh, the the whole talking to the baby doll thing just felt really fucking stupid. It felt like it was part of a bad anime and not a good anime. Um, I do think that she Rebecca does her best to get through all that. Uh, I think she does it with a plum. I would really like to see her be in more stuff. Uh, it's just hard to add on to what People are saying when everybody else has already said stuff, so let's just uh, leave it there. So, well, okay, not really, but I I enjoyed the performance. I would say I don't think it's the roughest performance because there's a lot of some of the secondary cast of kids who are a little rougher. Uh, But I would say, like, I think that she did a great job, uh, especially sinking her teeth into this character, especially when uh, she's talking to the kids about 
how the mom system works a little bit and showing yeah. off her scar. But to me, I think the outright most chilling delivery is when she's playing tag with the kids. Oh, God. And she's like, did all of your fr- did your little friend get picked up for the harvest? Mm. And she's just like staring at Emma over the thing. So good job, Rebecca, and good job, Amber. So, all right. So let's talk about our second group of characters uh, they might as well be the second group of conspirators after Emma, Norman, and Ray kind of learn about it. They're the first two people the three of them bring on to trust, but they also think at one point, like, one of them is betraying them. Hint, it's not. They're not. <laughs> so that is going to be Gilda and Dawn. Gilda is played by Ryan Bartley, and Dawn is played by Cedric Williams. Ryan Bartley, you'll know as Osamu in a race, Subomi Tagaki in Mob Psycho 100, and the lesser version of Rim. For, I mean, Ran- Fuck. Shit. You blew that almost <laughs> immediately. Fuck. <laughs> she's Rem, right? Ram. Okay, she's the other one. Yes. Fuck. Can I do that over again? No. Yes. Damn it. <laughs> Wait, no, I thought she was Rem. No, that's Brianna. No. Oh, I fucked that up. You fucked the joke so badly. You were gonna <laughs> You were gonna say she is she is the better of the twins. You were trying to insult Rem, but you failed badly. <laughs> Good job. Good night, everybody. I've never seen ReZero. <laughs> Neither have I. Okay, I've seen one episode of ReZero and I thought it sucked, so. <laughs> Cedric Williams is known as Chitu in Hunter Hunter. I didn't pronounce the X because I'm a classy bitch. You are a classy bitch. Steph, go ahead. <laughs> so, Don Gilda, huh? Um, let me see here. I'm gonna start with Gilda. So, Ryan Bartley, I'm becoming a bit more familiar with her as an actress because I've seen her in Mob Psycho, I have seen her in Mach- Machia, um, and maybe one or two other things. But, um, her portrayal of Gilda, because Gilda is, among the cast of characters, she's kind of the more quiet and a bit more reserved among, if we're putting them as a main five, um, she's the more quiet, reserved one, but she's also very, she wants to trust, she wants to be there, and, um, she wants to be that support system, especially for Emma, considering they're the two oldest girls in the entire house. Um, and Ryan just makes her just so sweet and gentle, and she just has com- a little bit of compassion added to her voice. Because, um, what's very interesting with Gilda, Gilda's also not an idiot. Um, when they originally c- try to talk to, um, Don and Gilda, and they try to convince them what's going on, Gilda's the one who actually believes it before Don does. And the way she she says it is like, Emma, you haven't really hugged or smiled at mom once for a while now and you love mom more than anybody in the entire world so it's the it's the same thing with phil basically like it's these little things that she observes which shows that something is wrong so she's able to accept what's going on rather quickly despite the one minor lie that the original three told about possibly connie being alive uh but Ryan Bartley is definitely just a gentle, gentle person. Um, very intelligent. Very quiet and reserved out of the five, which is actually really nice counterbalance to some of the stronger personalities, like Emma and like Dawn, actually. Um, 
Dawn as for Cedric. Obviously, I don't know jack all about Cedric, so this is another new person for me. So, Cedric makes Dawn seem kind of unassuming at first, but he really goes in, he really gets into the character and the personality quite a bit. Um, especially when it came to the halfway point, when they do find out that the kids that are shipped out, it's not human trafficking, they do end up getting killed. And he's originally closest to Connie, who gets shipped out in episode one. And his reaction is just, oh boy. <laughs> like, a lot of the characters in this show have a high point in terms of the actual performance. Um, I think save for maybe Gilda, but... I would disagree with you there, but I'll get to really? that in my section. Okay. Maybe you've missed, you have saw something that I missed. But in terms of Dawn, it's his absolute, like, freak out and him being pissed at the three of them that they lied. And the fact that he basically just went and punches the shit out of both Ray and Norman for it. Um, and he almost punched Emma. But C Cedric definitely, as one of the newer voices that I've ever heard, um, again, it's a, it's a very good contrast because... Coming, going back to what I said earlier, if Don was voiced by a female voice actress, it would be very weird considering the character design and the personality that Don has. So as the basically the only male voice in the show among the major cast of characters, um, it's a really nice balance and it blends very well um, with the women who are voicing these characters, both male or female. Um, for sure... Cedric was the one that was really iffy on because when I saw the press release and I saw him, I was like, I don't know anything about this guy. He's brand new to me. I don't know how this is going to sound. <laughs> but um, going through it, it, especially the second time, I really got into a lot more. Um, so C Cedric definitely grew on me as Don, and I'm very excited to see what he's going to be up to next. But um, definitely both of these performances and these characters are very I like them they're both really solid and considering it seems like more is going to come out of it in the second season as well prior to going to Goldie Pond I'm very interested to see where Ryan and Cedric are going to go with the, with the two characters so oh uh, Jet, go ahead uh okay uh Cedric Williams is another voice I'm not super familiar with um and while I do remember a lot of his G2 and Hunter Hunter Oh god, that's like the first time I've asked me to pronounce that with the RTX. Uh, he wasn't like too big a character in that show, and Don is pretty different, so I wasn't like totally sure what this would sound like. Uh, I was pretty happy what Cedric brought to the table here, and I liked that he was able to make Don sound overconfident and impulsive in ways that felt actually like a child instead of like being really annoying. And I thought his voice added a lot of emotion to the quote unquote super serious nature of the show. Uh, speaking of emotion, I also really liked how Cedric handled Don's reaction to finding out how he's being lied to by the main trio. And uh, while he gets, like, the anger of that moment across really well, I was, like, even more impressed with how he handled Don's breakdown after that whole little fight where he yep. uh, just kind of admits to himself that he hates being seen as a bird and that he wants to do better. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought it was really nice scene, and while I do, like, have, you know, like, general animated pics about, like, I wasn't really a big fan of the camera work there, uh... As I, I thought it was handled pretty well in spite of that. Uh, as for uh, Ryan Bartley's Gilda, I also really liked how she handled the character. I thought Ryan did a really good job of making Gilda sound very sweet and supportive, while also being able to, uh, you know, dial things back a bit to make her sound like a voice of reason when Emma isn't thinking things through very clearly. 
I also really liked how Riot handled Guild's uh, suspicions of Emma and, you know, did a good job of making her... Suddenly she was caught between, you know, wanting to believe in Emma, but also, like, being really scared about not knowing the whole situation. Uh, the quality I was really looking for here, though, was how much Riot could kind of make Gilda sound like the de facto mom of the group. Yes. Uh, because while Emma might be, like, quote-unquote, in charge, like, uh, next to Ray, like, Gilda's kind of the one who has to keep Emma from getting it over her head. So I thought Riot's performance uh, sounded consistent enough that I'd have no problem believing she'll nail all of that later on in the story. Uh, Let's put it like this, but between the two characters, Gilda is the one that will enforce your bedtime, while Emma is the mom who will sneak snacks into your bed because she's the cool mom like that. <laughs> yeah. You're not wrong. Uh, so, 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 yeah, I like his performances, and also, like, as far as the editing the anime did with these two, I probably don't have the least complaints about them. And while, you know, again, it's time for that one really weird cliffhanger with them going into mom's room. The first time since... And then surprise, Phil! Yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah, like, that whole thing was really weird because, like, them going into the mom's room only ever happened once. So, yeah, I don't know why they did that. Uh, I was also really surprised those two, like, got a little bit more screen time than they did in the manga. And since we announced that popular character, I'm not sure why. Uh, but anyway, again, I thought Cedric and Ryan did a really good job here, so they both get a thumbs up for me. Andrew! Okay, so, uh, first things first, I will start with Dawn, because I will definitely say most everybody clicked. Like, I think when I first heard everybody, like, all of our major characters, when I heard them speak and I heard them with the characters, everybody clicked pretty well as far as performance and as far as delivery. I will say, of the cast, Cedric was the longest it took to really click for me. Because I think he does a very good job with it. There's some of the delivery of his that seems a little bit, I guess, flat. Or sometimes a little bit stiff at parts when he's trying to sound like a little playful. Or when he's trying to exposit some of the dialogue or reactions. I think he sounds a little bit stiff at times. But I think he kind of grows out of it. But there's a couple lines and little weird deliveries throughout the show that I think are a little rough, which I will give some credence and credibility to still being a fresher face and still being a little bit green, even though he was Chitu in Hunter x Hunter, which I did like his performance as Chitu. Where it really clicks, though, is when he starts becoming his own character in that he starts rebelling against what he was told, because he is told uh, Connie was taken by child traffickers. And then he learns that is not the case at all. And then when he finally confronts them, when he finds the truth, is when Cedric nails Don. When he starts laughing hysterically in that state of denial, laughing that uncomfortable laugh before he just starts punching the shit out of them. And it feels really like, oh, oh, that sounded like it hurt. Oh, good lord. But just that fury and anger of him screaming and lashing out, only to kindly come down and realize he's angry at himself that he couldn't protect Connie, and that he is as weak and naive and not seen as smart or as trustworthy as the others. And that hurts him. And then you see, like, when they apologize and they realize Don is not only integral to them as a family, he's integral to the mission. And quite literally, if it wasn't for him and Gilda, 
this operation would have failed. Literally, it is because those two were working covertly behind the scenes that the escape went off as well as it did. And that should be commended. But yeah, uh, another thing I wanted to mention that uh, similar to Crone and Rebecca, uh, they also did a good job with uh, casting in regards to uh, Cedric and Don's skin and nationality. And I thought that was something neat and commendable as well. But that's not even just saying like, that's not it as a... What I'm saying is, I think of the cast, Cedric took a little longer to click for me. But he really nails Don when he needs to nail him. And he really does a great job, especially in the latter half of the series, and does an exceptional job really bringing Don to life. Ryan Bartley is a bit unsung, but Gilda is fantastic. She sounds very sincere and quiet, but she is trustworthy and loyal. Even though it's believed she's going to sell Emma and the kids out, no. She's going to stand her ground and be like, I'm not feeding you. I'm not cheating my friends and family. No, I'm going to help them out. This is going to be a thing. She is very supportive and motherly and quiet and concerned, but she's doing her best I think the thing that really stands out the most to me about her particular performance, Ryan as Gilda, is in the final episode, when they're talking about escaping and the escape plan going well, Ryan and Gilda contemplate something that I don't think the others really spent a lot of time thinking of. They'll get to escape, and they'll be free, but what about all the other kids? What about all the other kids in the uh, homes and in the houses that are living ignorantly will eventually live their lives and die and become food for demons. What's going to happen to them? Do we have a right to live and live freely knowing that we are abandoning all of them too? And that's an interesting moral quandary she brings up, and that's something Gilda brings up so nonchalantly, but it's what she would do as a character. She's concerned for everybody around her, and that's really interesting. Ryan has this soft-spoken nature to her, but she stands her ground, shows her stuff, struts her stuff, and does an exceptional job. She sounds cute, but earnest, and, and tough, and quiet, and meek, but also, like, really determined as well. And I think those are all exceptional qualities. So yeah, uh, Cedric and Ryan, uh, great job as Don and Gilda, the unsung MVPs of Promise Neverland. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not to take away from your moment, but I just noticed like we are like nearly two hours into this thing, and that was like your little spiel was like literally the first time we ever mentioned there were demons in this show. <laughs> oh yeah, <You're> right. <laughs> we we're like an hour and a half in, and we finally. Oh yeah, by the way, the kids are going to be eaten by demons. Oh, yeah. This is what <laughs> we probably should have mentioned that in the synopsis. We should have mentioned that in the beginning. Uh, whoopsies. Yeah, there are demons in this oh, world. It's a lot more the show. Yeah, it's a lot more complicated uh, than that, but they'll address it hopefully in the second season. Anyway, so whoopsies. <laughs> Whoops, daisies. I hope somebody, I hope somebody- Look, look, honestly, if you're this far into an episode about Promise Neverland, you probably know what this shit's about. That's fair. So, but there's that one guy, there's demons in this show? God, that's my kink. Um, God damn it! No. 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 Promise Neverland tags, four. <laughs> Just because you are right I doesn't mean not. you are correct. Babe, no, don't encourage it. Aaron Yeager looks because I think like the, at one point like I think this and Titan ran like either back to back or something. Yes. Uh, just Emma, Emma, and Emma and Aaron just fist bump being in a ship. It's like, hey, you're also a protagonist for everybody's getting eaten. Hell yeah! High five. 
Also obligatory fuck off Flosh. Fuck off Flosh. <laughs> <laughs> fucking hate that character. That's Matt Shipman's character, right? Yes. Yes. Oh god. Or, or as I learned, fuck you. That's also Mono Kencho's character. Matt Shipman gets to be an asshole in Titan. It's great. Anyways, I'm done. Let me talk about let me talk about the underrated performance. I think Don and Gilda not only are the underrated perform uh, underrated characters of Promise Everland. I think Ryan and Cedric are the underrated performers of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when we get to the next four characters that we talk about, like they really are a huge backbone of the ensemble. I think even more so than uh, Rebecca and Amber. Uh, I want to start with Cedric, who I've literally never heard his work before because I have watched like two episodes of Hunter Hunter in my life. Uh, which everybody can come beat me with a stick for it later. That'll be corrected eventually. Eventually. It'll be corrected when Black Clover's over. Haha, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, no, so I genuinely think that Cedric did a really good job. I was sold on him immediately. I liked his voice for this character. I like that he, in a show where there are a lot of women playing men and sometimes you can't really tell, I like that he had a very distinctive male voice. Um, he absolutely knocked it out of the park with anger and childish anxiety and fear over the fact that like because here's here's the one thing too like don and connie were like tight as fuck yeah and you you have to imagine when he he's he thinks that he's got the chance to get her back he has no idea that she is dead dead like her brain is like on a thing of crackers probably by that point um like he finds her bunny and then he freaks out and just the crying and the and the anguish. I think that Cedric gets it across beautifully. It was it almost made me cry. Um, and then couple his kind of because he also plays Don with a little bit of a roughness. Couple that with Ryan Bartley's gentle sweetness as uh, Gilda, who up until I watched the show in English, Gilda was my always my favorite character. Gilda's now my second favorite character. She is such a sweetheart. She she makes Gilda's kindness and empathy because Gilda is like Emma, where she's also empathetic. But I don't think that she's she's as she's not as hardcore as Emma is. I think because <laughs> Emma's pretty baller. Uh, I wish I wish I was Emma. She thinks realistically because towards the end, when Emma, Don, and Gilda are talking about whether or not to take the four year olds and younger, Gilda was on Ray's side. Yeah, Gilda was like, yeah, no, they're they're never gonna fucking believe this. Gil- but, um... Gilda headbangs softly while Emma is headbanging, like, basically till the entire world is spinning. Just because you are right does not mean you are correct. Emma Emma's like the three dudes in the back of the car during fucking uh Wayne's World. Oh god. <laughs> Get afraid of him! So I think Ryan's Ryan's natural sweetness and she also has a softness that really plays off of Emma's actress's softness really well. So overall, like really great performances. I think it's Ryan Bartley's uh, definitely for me a front runner for underrated performance of the year, especially as uh, as Gilda. I think a little bit more than than Cedric. I think she had a little bit more polish to her performance. So with that being said, are we good to move on to our first uh, our, our our next character? Oh, oh boy. boy. Let's talk about mom. Let's talk about mom. Let's talk. Let's talk about some big milf energy. Okay, look, it was either gonna be you or me who was going to say it. 
Shout out to our good buddy Crimson. So long as it's not about me, because for some reason that joke involves me now. Shout out to our buddy Crimson, who would very much would like to put his face what in is that Isabella's playing? Neverland. <laughs> you know what's playing. Why do I hear Bloomin' Crods? Shut no! Shut no! Confused! Why is this motherfucker? Who's playing that? We're gonna get copyrighted. <laughs> Muffled Bloomin' Crants in the distance. <laughs> First of all, I think that's Jet. Second of all, I don't understand. You will in a minute. Okay. <laughs> oh, I'm wait, sorry, never I'm mind. So, I'm sorry, I got I'm it. Sorry, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. God damn it. <laughs> I got it. You motherfucker. Bravo, Jet. We're going to get copywritten so straight so We're going to so get copywritten now. You, you God, were very God, premature okay. with that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> playing Isabella is... Mama Isabella is Laura Post. Laura Post, you'll know his characters such as Diana Cavendish in A Little Witch Academia, Queen Nehelina in Sailor Moon Super S, and everyone's favorite mom of the year candidate, all years, every years, Ragio Kiryuin in Kill Bloomin' Kranz <laughs> intensifies. God damn it. Bloomin' Kranz and she wants to Bloomin' Kranz into you, Satsuki. God. Stop it! Oh, uh, uh, okay. Kill a Kill was a wild show, man. <laughs> man, that is a joke that is like all of five people are gonna get. <sighs> Steph, you've got a Steph, you've got an open hole. Why don't you make words come out? Wow! Of oh God! I hope, by the way, I hope Crimson fucking appreciates the whole fact that I called him out for being an Isabella fucker. Oh God! <laughs> he is one. Speaking of big milk energy, I guess it is me now. What? <laughs> um. Mm -hmm. Oh. Oh God. Here, I'm gonna start off with this. I never had the fantastic pleasure of listening to Laura Post in Kill a Kill. We need to fix that. We need to fix that. I have that. not seen the dub of Kill a Kill. I have only. We seen need Japanese. to fix that. So, like, I've heard so many things about Laura Post playing the bad moms. This is my first time seeing Laura Post playing a bad mom. Though to be fair to Isabella as a character, she also can be fairly sympathetic. Because while what she's doing, she's doing willingly, and she she's okay with it, similar to Sister Crona, she is trying to survive as well. Fuck them kids. Because a key part in Isabella's character, and it comes up in the last episode of the season, she also tried to escape, but she couldn't do it. And what I like about Isabella as a character, because throughout the majority of the show, you see her as this devious and cunning woman, like, do, like doing what she can to twist the thoughts and ideas and trying to keep these kids in line. Um, especially once it gets to the point where she interacts with Emma, Norman, Ray, Gilda, and Dawn. And when she first runs into Emma and Norman before they're inspecting the wall, and she's like, we've known each other for 10 years. But I think this is the first time we actually can talk to each other without acting. Emma, Norman, it's nice to meet you. And she just, like, loses that facade. Like, the nice, sweet mom facade. And she's just, like, cunning, devious woman. Um, but considering... 
a lot of the character aspects of Isabella being this cunning person, coming off as this loving person, and also being this sympathetic individual that we learn about at the at the end of the season. Oh my god. <laughs> Laura Post is just fantastic. Um, she covers this wide range and this broad aspects of Isabella's character so well. Um, she appears to be kind-hearted and gentle as is Isabella, but you, there are, especially once we or find out early on that she is, like, knowledgeable of this. At the end of the first episode, we know that Isabella's in on it. This whole thing of giving the children the demons and shit. We know she's in on it by the end of the first episode. But at that point, you can tell that at that point on, she has this strong intellect and is also has such a cunning tone in how she words things and how she does things um, in order to keep these children here, to keep them in line, to convince them that they're going to have wonderful, happy lives here. Um, especially Emma. Emma, who feels downright betrayed, essentially, from what she's known all her life. <laughs> Emma fighting back for so, for so long and Ray just going with it for part of the time because we'll get to Ray but there's a thing involving Ray um but that's probably more for Ray in and of itself and then this is probably probably can go for both um Isabella and Ray um but something that's actually really interesting and it wasn't picked up on until someone mentioned it to me this was a while ago though both Laura Post and the actress who voiced Ray, there is a specific song in the show. The greatest track of OST in 2019. It's known as Isabella's Lullaby. It's a song. There it is. It's a song that sometimes plays throughout the show, but you don't know the meaning behind it. And it, you, it's just, we're going to get copywritten again if you keep doing that. I would assume actual singing should be fine, but you never know with YouTube. Uh, okay, uh, considering I uh, considering I got copyrighted for literally singing a parody of the Pokemon theme, uh... Anything is possible, <laughs> honestly. I'm on a boat. <laughs> no, but, um, you... This this song in particular called Isabella's Lullaby, it does play throughout the entirety of the show, but you don't know the context of it until the very last episode. So and it could. It's so good. But the reason why I'm bringing this up, for both Laura as well as Ray's voice actress, there are moments where both of these characters actually hum the lullaby. And both voice actors hum the lullaby. And it's very believable. Um, and I enjoyed that so, so much. Um, but Laura Post definitely in the end of it, too. Um, she comes off as not really defeated because she watches these kids go. She doesn't want them to leave. She watches them go, but when she actually sees them go, she kind of accepts it, ends up relaxing, lets her hair down, both figuratively and literally, um, and she actually has this glimmer of hope that she thinks that these kids will actually achieve what she couldn't do as a child. Um, Isabella as a character is just, oh my god. There is so much to her, both as an antagonist, but also a sympathetic character. And I just loved every aspect of it uh, from Laura Post's performance. Um, I may have to watch Kill a Kill just to see evil, badass bitch <laughs> Laura Post, just to see the juxtaposition of it as for bad moms. But um, given what Isabella is as a character, given what she does um, and her personality, this is a very complex character and Laura 
absolutely nailed it from start to finish. Uh, Jet. Okay, um, so next to another character we'll get to later. Uh, this was probably one of the safest casting choices in the whole dub. Uh, Laura is definitely no stranger to playing to playing mobs, and she's certainly no stranger to playing evil mobs. Uh, since again, her most iconic anime role is so probably good old Gravia from Kill a Kill. And uh, while the other ones winning any Mother of the Year awards, Isabella definitely isn't Ragio. So I appreciate that Laura's performance didn't, you know, just directly imitate that one. Uh, while we see that Isabella can be pretty stone cold and Laura gets a lot of her ruthless moments across really well, and it's still kind of a more measured approach to how she does things compared to Ragio, so I'm glad that Laura managed to make this feel like a very distinct performance. Uh, that also kind of gets into the maybe the one little issue I have with her performance is that while I really enjoyed her as like Isabella, the whole you know child farmer, I wasn't quite as sold on her as Ele at Isabella as a mother. Uh, while Laura's tone is you know like gentle enough during her early moments that you might not immediately suspect something's up of her, uh, her voice in general just has like so much authority to it that it never quite sounds like it would belong to a living parent. And uh, while this was also kind of the case with Yuko Kata's performance in the Japanese version too, she did well enough during that whole bit where Isabella kind of uh, quote-unquote tries to, you know, console Emma Motherly after literally breaking her leg, but I can kind of buy into it. Uh, Laura's on the other hand, that never quite got there for me, and uh, while I liked the performance overall, I wouldn't call it bad by any means. Uh, I really liked Isabella as a character, so I was kind of disappointed I didn't feel like I got the full package with that one. Uh, but it also kind of gets into uh, some of my problems of how the anime kind of handled Isabella in general. Uh, as we find out later on, while you know, she's the current mom of the house, uh, she was once an orphan just like Emma, and you know, she was broken by the farm system into becoming the person that she is today. And in a lot of ways, she's kind of a mirror image of what Emma could have been if she'd also kind of surrendered to the farm system. And the thing is, while the anime isn't, like, super explicit about Isabella being a former farm child right away because it would kind of break, you know, the anime's emphasis on the whole mystery thriller angle of the story, uh, the manga makes that dynamic clear very early on, like, literally the third chapter, they make that extremely clear. And it's kind of helpful because it sort of makes Emma and Isabella's relationship kind of be, like, the core theme of the Gracefield arc. Uh, but, but again, since the anime is kind of more concerned with the mystery thriller angle, that parallel doesn't feel quite as distinct here, and it's kind of a little disappointing for me. And um, I also wasn't totally as old with how they kind of handled some of the flashbacks of Isabella's past, since, again, you know, cutting out all the internal monologues, they kind of cut out this one little bit where it does kind of make things clear that while Isabella did ultimately surrender to the farm system, she still, uh, she still kind of has a lot of resentment for what she did to her. Uh, did to her friend that we see in her little flashback, and uh, Leslie. Oh, poor Morgan Barry. Is it, uh, yeah, and yeah, and I make it clear that the only reason she never, that uh, the only reason she never fought back was because he just sort of viewed it as impossible. You know, again, mirror image of Emma. Well, again, you can kind of sort of piece that together with what the anime provides. It's kind of uh, in the anime, it feels more like subtext, whereas in the manga, it like literally was the text. So. Uh, yeah, that was kind of annoying to me, and it's kind of the same issue I had with what they did with Crone, so... Uh, yeah, I wasn't a fan of them making this stuff more vague, but... Uh, all that rambling aside, again, I thought Laura did a pretty solid job here. Uh, there are definitely a few points I felt could have been better, but it was a pretty solid performance. Before we move on, can I interject? 
because I have, I think, maybe one thing to disagree on a little bit. Um, the point you made about Isabella not being convincing as a mom, you kind of, I don't think after episode one she doesn't have to be. Because by the end of episode one, you already know right off the bat that she knows everything about what's going on. Okay, yeah, here's the thing. You and the audience know that all of the kids do not, so... So while you may not see her keep up the facade around, like, Emma necessarily... Right. She did at least have to keep up the facade around the other kids, and I felt like Laura didn't quite do that as consistently as I would have liked, so... Well, the kids are also... A lot of the kids are just straight-up naive. But when you think of it from the perspective of the kids who do know about it, because that's really the main viewpoint that we get this from, it kind of... In my mind, I think it actually kind of works that you don't have that as convincing mother to it. I don't know, that may just be me, but um, I just kind of had to interject on that point a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I guess it's just because, again, I kind of see, like, the whole mom and farmer thing as a kind of um, a bit of a duality with her character. So, right, yeah. Yeah, so for me, it's kind of important that both aspects come across really well, and I felt that, and I kind of felt that Laura only really got the farmer aspect across for me. Yeah, she definitely did. Um, I just think it's a little bit interesting that you brought it, but it's not convincing as a mom when she doesn't, after episode one, I don't think she doesn't really have to be. She just needs to pass for a certain amount of kids that are not even who we see the show through anyway. But that's that's just me. I will also personally say, uh, I guess I should probably just take this mantle and run then. Yeah, just go. Okay. Or no, Jed, are you good? Um, yeah, I, I think I got all my rambling out the way. Okay, like... Honestly, I still think she does a good job at keeping up the facade, like, because she she may not have to keep it up as much around the smarter children or the ones she's trying to keep in line, but she still manages around the younger kids to just be very sweet and soft and motherly, and I think she does that very well. Laura Post is an actress who, I will say this, we very much associate her with sultry, sexy, and dangerous. That is something I think we associate, especially in regards to Ragyo Kiryuin and a couple other performances of hers, but Laura's a very versatile actress. Like, I think she's very low-key when the series starts, because while you hear a little more of her when she's speaking firmly to, like, the actual demon, she's just got that sort of calm, cool collective, this is my turf, I got everything under control. But then when she starts showing her true nature, when she's intimidating Crone, and when she finally opens up and really talks to the children for the first time, no more acting, it's like, this is who I am. I love you all very dearly, but I still have to do my job. You can live the rest of your lives happy and healthy, or I'm going to have to break some things. Which, by the way, can we talk about how fucking, like, vivid the snap sound is. Like, ooh, Jesus. Yay, thank you, Japanese sound direction team. But, uh, probably some English sound direction there, too. But, yeah, um, Laura Post does a very good job sounding like that level of dangerous, sultry commanding, but I feel a little thing that goes unsung is we actually do get to hear a younger Laura, which is not something we always get to hear of her. And she's very good at it. She sounds... Softer, lighter, full of light. She's definitely into musicians, and that goes to hell. Um, yeah, Laura's very versatile as an actress, but I'd also say she does a really good job when things go to shit, and the children light themselves on fire, supposedly. 
Except they don't, they just cut off their ears. <laughs> yeah, and when she's finally kind of starts losing it, it's like, all right, my darling children, time for me to come get you. And then it's like, oh shit, no, okay. I gotta keep the other kids in track. I gotta keep a cool head. And then finally accepting defeat where you learn about her. And when we finally go into the flashback where she and a baby Ray talk, there's something... Oh, Me Megan, do you want to be the one to say that line, or could I? Should we wait until Ray, though? Hmm. Can we wait until Ray? We can wait until Ray, but all I can say is... Very much pertains to him. All I will say is the line about... That line. Surviving. That line. Was very convincing and very well executed by Laura. All right, cool. So let's talk about Mama, Mama Cavendish. <laughs> um, I, Diana was the first thing I had, so. Uh, which I also appreciate hearing younger uh, Lauren Post, because I think, like, the youngest I've actually remembered hearing her is as Nozomi in Love Live, who's, like, 18. Maybe Diana, who's, like, 12 or 13. But I, I actively try not to remember Little Witch very much, because I didn't enjoy the anime, so. Um, it's not my favorite show. But I think she does a really good job here. I do agree with Jet, actually, that sometimes I can't believe that she's, like, super motherly. Okay. Like, I sometimes feel that, too. I was, I'm just, like, half the time watching the dub, and I don't know if it's because I had watched the show already in Japanese. I was just, like, when this, when this shoe wants to hit the ground, that's when Laura Post's performance starts. Like, when that leg snaps, there's, that's when, that's when Isabella starts, to me. That's when Isabella's performance starts. I think she's good at the beginning. I think she's perfectly solid uh, being threatening, being intimidating. But it's it's once that pretense drops. And to me, the big scene that really gets me is when she tells uh, Emma to give up. Yep. And she's like, just give up and become a mom. It'll be so much easier. And I thought that that's the scene that Laura really needed to nail for me. And she did. It's just, it's just like, the option is just, just give up and sell everybody out like I did, Emma. But you don't know that she gave up and went through all of that and and stuff. And I do also think that when she she has to say goodbye to the kids on the wall, I think she does a really good job. I think it's soft. I think it's I think there's like a sense of catharsis to her, knowing that the kids because she did care about them kids. She fuck them kids, but also I love them kids. Mm -hmm. And she really really nailed that and. This is, like, the one thing I've wanted to talk about since, like, I noticed what it was in the show. It's, um, when she's standing there and those those ropes are, the, the sheet ropes are flying in the wind. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's those three lines that come down in the opening of the anime. Um, you oh, know? Shit. I was like, that's what, that's what that is. I've watched enough Mother's Basement to know what I'm doing. You know? Also, B, the no is over Norman's head. Which is really funny. But I'll get into that with Norman. Um, but overall, I think Laura's solid. I do I do agree with Jet that it, it's not a flawless performance. It's still really, really good. Um, I think it's just maybe maybe she needed to be a little bit more warm because of the way that Jet was doing it. Because it's like, it's always a thing that's like where we know, but they don't know. So, so yeah. That's fair. Alright, moving on to things that aren't fair. Norman and his fate. Oh, God. Let's talk about Norman. Norman! Norman is... Norman, the sweetest, goodest... Well, not so good anymore. He stopped being a good boy. 
by his own admission in the dialogue of the show. That That is something he says. He's like, all right, mom, you're right. I'll um, stop I'll, being a I'm good boy. I'm not being good. He did say that he'll stop being a good boy, and he stops being a good boy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Norman, the goodest little bad boy who's a chess master, uh, who's playing some 3D chess with, like, Ray, his mom, the audience. Uh, he's a good little cinnamon roll. And playing this good little cinnamon roll is one Miss Jeannie Tirado. Jeannie Tirado, you'll know as Silica Melties in Record of Grandcest War. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just call it Grandcest? <laughs> it is. It's Record of Grandcest War. Okay. Not Record of Incest War, you perv. Um, I thought that's why you were laughing. No, I was laughing because she's just... I keep forgetting that this is an actual character's name. She's Cluck in Hunter Hunter, and she is Shirley in Sword Art Online Alternative Gun Gale Online. She's also in regular Sword Art Online as a character who literally shows up for one episode and then disappears. She was a cool character, though. Thanks, Alstation. So, let's start this off with Jet. Okay, um, so I gotta say, this was definitely one of the more interesting casting choices for this dub, uh, because, uh, well, if, if, because if you couldn't tell by our tone, uh, JD we're actually more used to as a Texas regular, so, yeah, this is a little bit of a surprise. And, uh, so, this was a little bit of a surprise to me, both because of that, and also because I don't think I've heard her voice and boy before, I mean... I'm sure she probably has, I just, it's not something I'm used to. Uh, so since I wasn't really too used to her in this kind of role, I was kind of thrown off maybe a little bit. In the beginning, when her Norman sounded maybe like a little more feminine than what I was expecting the character to sound like. Uh, but her performance definitely more than balanced that out, so I don't have like any real complaints on that end. Um, of the main trio, Norman is definitely like the most level-headed, at least on the surface. And uh, Jeannie gives him, you know, a very calm and gentle tone while, you know, also making it sound like the gears in his head are constantly turning. And as uh, it's Norman is kind of in the middle of, you know, this whole arc's moral conflict between Emma's idealistic approach of saving everyone and Ray's more pragmatic approach of taking only who's capable, and Jeannie has to carry Norman's struggle as he kind of wavers between those two points of view. And I thought he handled that really well. I also just liked how well she really played off of Ray and Emma's actresses in general, since, you know, and there's a pretty good chemistry between their performances that it helped him in making the trio's friendship feel a little more authentic. Uh, of course, I definitely see that Dee said that moment was definitely uh, when Norman comes back from the bridge and kind of confesses his whole master plan to sacrifice himself. Uh, it was a pretty heavy scene, and while Norman tries to, you know, maintain his composure in the beginning, it's still... It's still pretty clear that he's scared of dying, and I thought that JD handled that whole emotional transition pretty well. And, um, yeah, the JD did a really good job here. Uh, as for, like, how I felt about Norman and the anime in general, I will say that I felt that, like, out of everyone in the cast, it seems like he kind of got the best treatment in the anime. And it definitely felt like he was probably the director's favorite character, because it felt like a lot of his scenes got the most emphasis. And uh, he definitely handled a lot more of the exposition than he did in the manga, which kind of made him look a little bit dumber as a consequence, but I'll get into that later. Uh, 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 I that, don't... Okay, more on that later. Yeah, yeah more on that later. Uh, that aside, uh, the, one, the only thing that really kind of bothered me here was that uh, the enemy very clearly tried to make the relationship between Emma and Norman feel at least slightly romantic, and it's... Uh, Definitely not supposed to be like that, uh, especially not with recent Did chapters. Yeah, it, even, it, 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 even, it, even I kind of had that, like, when Norman leaves, it felt a little like 
he was about to say because I love you. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. like, not like familial, but like I romantic. I too, yep. Uh, a, a little. Uh, uh. Uh, anyway, uh, so going back into that, yes, Norman definitely has a crush on Emma, but while that's at least uh, part of why he chooses to support her over Ray, his main motivation is kind of supposed to be that he actually admires how selfless Emma is and that he explicitly wants to be more like her. Uh, but uh, this kind of isn't really there in the anime, and uh, considering that's kind of important to their dynamic later on, that they kind of misinterpreted that is kind of a big problem for me. But uh, anyway, none of that has anything to do with Genie's performance for now at least, and on the whole, I thought she did a very solid job. I'm done. Okay, so, Gina Dorado as Norman is a very interesting casting egg decision. Gina Dorado is definitely no stranger to this podcast. We've been covering her since her, like, early debut or really getting started at Funimation Entertainment. I believe she had moved to California yes. at least a little over a year ago now. Um, and she is now a dual citizen of Texas and California. And she's been popping up in stuff. This is probably the first big role we've talked about since she moved to California. Okay, to be fair, she is she was, like, one of the leads in Grand Sust War, which... Like came out, I, I think, on DVD before this happened. Okay, she's one of the one of the first big leads that we've talked about on the show. Okay. Uh, but it's actually a pretty unique role for Jeannie Tirado in regards to her particular cadence and delivery. Where it, a lot of it does sound like what I'm familiar with Jeannie Tirado, but also like a younger, like male character, which is very unique and different. She does a good job sounding kind of sweet and unassuming, but with a little bit of chaotic desire behind behind their tone, especially when they're interacting with Rey when it comes to confronting Rey about Ooh. being the traitor, or when it comes to specifically, like, talking about, okay, we're going to uh, trick Emma. It's like, I'm not going to trick her. I'm going to help her. It's like, you realize this shit's going to break, right? It's like, I don't care. I want to be there. This is going to be great. I want to see this with my own eyes. I want to be there. I've got front row seats. This is mine to enjoy. Like, I'm making him sound like more of a trickster, but it's very much like... He sounds soft, unassuming, and in and kind of cool and quiet. But I think where Ray, where Ray, where Norman shines is when he kind of breaks the facade, both when he's more afraid, when he's more scared, or when he's more determined and ready to destroy the world. I, Jet, you mentioned this once before. I actually think the one of the things where cutting out the internal monologue worked better was when he's going to go get the water. Yep. And I okay, actually yeah, so, yeah, that was yeah, that was definitely one of the times where I was like, okay, taking out the internal model all actually was good. I think the silent fear and just the use of the running water and just showing him like kind of losing his balance and freaking the fuck out actually worked a lot better in regards to like seeing a lot more of his character. Cause here's the thing. I know there's a lot of important monologues and stuff to get through, especially for something as rich and lore-heavy as Promised Neverland, but I actually do think there's a couple of times where the show don't tell actually does work to the show's advantage, and I think that's one of the times it really shines. But Genie's... I don't think it's like it doesn't ever work at all. It's just, it feels like most of the time it's just kind of done for the sake of it and that kind of an ordinary. Fair enough. But I think Genie, it's a very different role for Genie. Sometimes it does seem like she has a little trouble keeping 
the tone of voice for the whole for the whole show maybe because i'm a little more familiar with how like genie's natural voice sounds i can kind of tell a little bit when it breaks but it never really sounds like too distracting or jarring for me to really take me out of it but i think she does a good job adding a lot of complexity and at real layers to norman who's already pretty interesting and developed as a character and i enjoyed her performance a lot uh steph um so this is really the first big role that i've heard genie in since she moved to la um i know nothing about grand crest warp you can watch it on netflix now good to know i might not ever get to it because that's how my life works um norman actually originally was my favorite character in the in the um in the manga in in this series uh that's not the case anymore we have a different character i gotta talk about my other son um <laughs> but um <laughs> jet knows <laughs> jet knows i too love sasuke yushiha <laughs> oh no i thought you were going to mention a certain another character who shows that much much later probably in the second season I'm trying to think who that would be. Anyway, but going back to Genius Norman. Um, Norman definitely is... He has this calm, cool, collected manner about him. Um, what what was it? Um, Sister Krona mentioned the weaknesses of each of the three kids before. Emma was her naivete. Ray was that he gave up too easily. What the frick was Norman? Norman's too frail. That's what it yeah. is. Norman is very frail. He was he's he was very sick as a child. Um, we got a mini flashback of a time he got a cold, for God's sake, and it was the most adorable thing in the world. Oh my God, baby Emma, I love baby her so Emma. fucking much. Must protect baby Emma. <laughs> no, protect baby Ray. This book says that idiots don't get sick. Sick. <laughs> I love Ray. Um, but anyway, yeah. Norman is definitely a calm, cool, and collective personality, and Jeannie definitely portrays that rather well, as well as Norman's... Norman, among the three main leads, has very, very high intelligence. Ray can, is probably the closest to his equal, but I feel like Norman is a heck of a lot smarter than he is. Um, and there's also... Again, seeing as how Norman is one of the major characters that is voiced by a female actress, the tone of voice that Jeannie does give him is not that feminine. It's it, I can believe that he is a prepubescent boy. Um, and it actually really works nicely. Um, but to her credit, and also to Ray's credit, Andrew brought up the, the scene, I believe, between Norman and Ray, where we find out Ray's the traitor. Ah, uh, ah, uh, that scene was great. <laughs> um, for Jeannie and Ray, voice actress as well, um, who we'll get to in a minute. But um, definitely for Jeannie, I've never heard her as a voice of boy before. This is a first for me, too. And while I don't have a, really a ton to say for Norman, because Norman is a very interesting character in that I don't have a lot of criticisms. I also don't have a lot to really say or talk about, because Norman is one of the more unassuming characters to me. Which is very weird to say, but it was a solid performance. I just don't have a lot really to say outside of the calm, cool, collected, and very intelligent personality that Norman has, honestly. Um, it's not a standout to me, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's a very solid performance, but it's not a standout to the point where it's extremely memorable. 
If I may add, mm-hmm. if I may add one thing to that, I will say this just because I'm kind of thinking about it. Yeah. I think perhaps maybe it's less that Norman stands out on his own and more that Norman and Jeannie works the best when playing off the other Emma. two. Yeah, absolutely. The dynamic between the three main leads is absolutely fantastic. And I think that's where the detriment for Jeannie as an individual comes in. Um, but I think that's also on part of the character of Norman himself, where he doesn't, where he seems like he may not be as effective without Emma and Ray. Um, but that I think is the fault of maybe, maybe the fault of the adaptation or the series in general, not on Jeannie's part. Um, but yeah, like I say very solid. I just don't have, it's not a standout. It's not terrible. It's, it's solid in all honesty. So. So, I also think that Jeannie does a really solid job, but I would say of the three main children, she is by far my weakest of the three. She's not- this is not to say this is a bad performance. Whenever I say weak, this is means I'm comparing against the other three main children characters, and there are times that sometimes it does sound like Norman is voiced by a woman, and Norman sounds like a- a- has a more feminine voice where maybe, uh- it wasn't as feminine the Japanese. Uh, oh, um, uh, it it kind of was. It was Mayu Tita's first side voice to get a little more too. So uh. okay, so it was both. Okay, both their first times. Was it seriously your first time voicing a boy? Uh, yeah. Compared but- to Ray's, compared to Ray's, who well, we'll get to to them in a minute. Um, <laughs> we'll get to them in a little bit. Uh, I think that Jeannie does a really good job when she is bouncing off of. Ray and Emma's actresses. Uh, baby, baby Norman is the cutest shit though. Mm. She was flawless as Baby Norman with the, the little cup string and the coughing. Um, just when Norman says goodbye to everybody, and it's like Emma, that was gut wrenching. But the the best delivery Jeannie Tirado gives in the entire show is when Mom and him are walking to the gate, and he goes. Are you happy yes, to her? Yeah. Oh, I forgot that part. That was really <laughs> and, good. And then, like, uh, yeah, the lantern twitches. The lantern twitches. And and also credit to uh, Laura Post going, yes, I am happy. And it's like, deep down, she was not happy. Um, and just, like, the little moments there. But Norman, it just is, Norman's a really fascinating character. And I think Jeannie does, like, it's hard to say when you guys have kind of also laid out a lot of my other points. Uh, I will say this, though. Did anybody else... Okay, this is going to sound really dumb, but uh, everybody here knows how to say the Japanese name for the Promised Neverland, right? No. Yeah. Yaku- Yakuso no Neverland? Uh, Yakuso no Neverland. Okay, so if you've ever watched... This is a, another really good thing about the opening. Does anybody know that uh, if you don't know Japanese, uh, N-O or No is its own character in Hiragana and Katakana. It's the little, the one that looks like a circle. Does anybody else notice that in the opening, the katakan, the hiragana for no is over Norman's head? Oh. Mm, I did not <laughs> notice that. That's the. I didn't either. I, I don't think that was, I don't know if that was intentional, but I just find it really funny because he's the one that doesn't get to escape. <laughs> Ooh, that is interesting. Hmm. 
Interesting. Yeah. That is very interesting. I didn't know. Uh, 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 I mean, I know there definitely is a like little thing in the manga where where the logo has like three leaves in it, representing the main trio, and then after Norman leaves, the logo gets slightly altered a bit. So, oh, does the, does one of the leaves fall when he leaves? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. At, at least with the Japanese, I never bit. noticed that. It's like it. It's like in Sauron Zomni, if you watch the ending after a certain port in Sauron Zomni, there's only two shadows. Oh, I love that shit. Hmm. I live for this shit! Ah! Yeah. Um, no, so I, I do think Jeannie is very solid. Uh, I would say of the three main kids, though, she's probably my weakest one. Again, not bad, but also she's not the best. Uh, so let's get on to who I actually think is the best. My son! <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about Sasuke Uchiha. I mean, Ray. Shut up! He's my son. I just want to piss off Jet. <laughs> oh, so, oh, don't worry. I also adore Ray. Ray is my precious little edgelord. <laughs> Ray is my favorite <laughs> He's child. A precious little edgelord. He's my he, son, and I love the him. Book says, the book says edgelords are your favorite. He's trying He's God. trying to be really cool standoffish, and like he's trying to be the soul sacrifice, but Emma's like, no, shut up. You're, you matter. Come with us, loser. I mean... Sometimes, when Ray wants to feel something, anything, he burns the entire house down to his fingers. (laughs) (laughs) God. Ray likes to light it up for fun. Megan! (laughs) I'm burning with anticipation to talk about who plays Ray, and that is Laura Stahl. Laura Stahl, you'll know as uh, Leonardo Brizarty Hottaway in Fate Extra Last Encore. Uh, Girahid in Seven Deadly Sins, Revival of the Commandments, and he who has the stand, I've got big balls, Hayato Kirajiri in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Diamond is Unbreakable. You want to talk actual MVPs? Hayato Kawajiri is, honest to God, the MVP of Part 4. Hayato Kawajiri could beat Jiren. He He could. God. Man... You can literally say X can beat Jiren, and it will never not be funny. My mom could beat Jiren. I believe it. Yes, remember, the answer is always Ultra Instinct Shaggy. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say Nyanko Big can beat Jiren. Like Zoic Scoob, I'm Ooh. faster than time and space. <laughs> <laughs> like Zoic Scoob, Gracefield House is on fire. God damn it. Oh no, the meat's burning! Oh, so, Ultra Instinct Shaggy. I mean, Andrew, why don't you go first? Oh, good lord. Okay, (laughs) that's fair. Ultra Horn Stink Andrew. Uh, okay, so, uh, this is a strong dub with a lot of exceptional performances, individual standout performances, some new, some veteran performances, some people having their debuts, some people who have been around for a while. I say this with no hyperbole that, uh... Laura Stahl is the best performance in this dub. She has an extremely convincing tone of voice for Ray, both as like a stern, standoffish boy who is trying his best to seem cool and unassuming. Somebody who gradually goes from wanting to hide his true feelings about putting on an act that I am doing all the evil things. It was me. I do this for you. I do this for selfish reasons before eventually comes out. Oh no, you've been doing this to protect everybody the whole time. And you've been suffering in silence before coming to the revelation of 
the master plan was he was going to light himself on fire when he was fully ripe to truly get back at them before Emma's like, no, shut up. You're coming with me. Um, there's a lot of complexity to Laura's performance. There's this, she's calm and cool and kind of sassy at times. During the big reveal, she plays the part of an evil double agent really well that exasperated evil tone of voice and also when she gets really frustrated and angry when she's betrayed by mom when norman gives up and reveals his true intentions when he opens up to emma about his master plan and starts lighting himself on fire there is some amazing delivery there is some standout moments from Laura Stahl as Rey. She is somebody who I was already extremely impressed with her in JoJo, but this is really something that is going to put Laura Stahl on the map, and she deserves it. Rey's a really interesting character. He kind of does his best to be this sort of edgy pragmatist before eventually having his walls lowered by Emma's genuine, kind-hearted nature and irresistible shonen charm to just be like fuck your pragmatism we're saving everybody before he eventually softens up to it is like you know what you got me i will do this i will come along and i will survive and live with you guys and it's a great moment and ray's a really unique character i love him he's a very good boy and laura stall is yeah hands down the best performance in this dub bar none to me uh steph you're gonna let me talk about my son yes my actual son. Don't talk about your son. <laughs> You're not legally obligated to name your firstborn child Ray. Well, shit. Um, so, I think I said before, Norman was my favorite character of the series. But after this performance, it's Ray. Um, hands down. Because, oh my god. Laura does phenomenal. I had no familiarity with Laura, and then I realized that she's in Seven Deadly Sins. Because I saw that credit, I'm like, why does that character again? And I recognized it, finally. Um, but even then, Laura is very convincing as a boy, first of all. But Laura as Rey is very underrated. You don't think it's going to be as good as you, as, you, as you realize it is. Again, going back to that intensity of episode 5 with um, between Laura and Jeannie, when we find out that Ray is the traitor. Like, Ray is so goddamn devious. <laughs> he may be an edgelord, but he is very devious because he's known about, he's known something has been wrong with his life since before he was fucking born. There's a, there's a lot of suspension of disbelief you have to go into Shonen, but that was one that was like, okay. <laughs> So the big thing is, is there's this thing called infantile amnesia that, that gets brought up in the show. Ray, Ray does not have that. Ray remembers fragments throughout his entirety of his life, including being in the womb. Which, by the way, his mom, though. <laughs> we know who Ray's actual mom is. It's Isabella. It's Isabella. Because I think I mentioned this before when um, we were talk when I was talking about Isabella, that Laura got to hum the lullaby Laura Stahl also did too and that's how we find out holy shit you are actually Isabella's child um which I think that whole encounter was very powerful and um I think Andrew was the one who brought up or Megan was 
the line that Ray gives before Isabella answers, Mom, why did you give birth to me? And then Isabella's answer was just plainly to survive. That encounter was just, oh, it was so gut-wrenching for both um, Loras. But um, Ray may be an edgelord, but the key part with him is he's basically playing this whole facade through the entirety of his life where he's helping to get these the rest of his, these kids out, especially Emma and Norman. But the key factor in all of it that we learned towards the end, he never involved himself in the equation. He always saw himself as never escaping and actually dying in the house. He was very much playing a part for yes. himself as much as he was yep. for everybody And else. that's one of the, probably the larger twists of the show as well. And to hide a, something like that until basically the climax of the entire show, kudos to Laura because she hid that very, very well. Like, you can see the hints here and there based on the wording and the phrasing, which is the same stuff that Norman picked up on when he originally confronted Ray. Um, going through it a second time, I picked up on it a lot more, too. And being able to hide this big thing that Ray does not want to escape and wants to fucking die, that's a huge thing to hide. And Laura hid it very, very well, so kudos to her for that. Um, but yeah... Ray has a lot going on with him. And then also when Norman leaves and he's Ray's so defeated, he's just like so depressed. I think that's where the huge edgelordness comes in. He's just like sulking in the library, just hanging out on the on the top floor. And he's just like, <laughs> you're not seeing me, but it's one of those things where he's just like sitting there, arms flopped on the floor and shit like that. Like, I really love Ray as a character. There's a lot going on with this character. I'm very excited now that Emma's like, shit, Emma's just like, fuck you, you're coming with us. Don't be an idiot anymore. Um, and he's getting dragged on to this fun little escape adventure that they're on. I'm very interested to see now that this has happened and now that his original plan that he wanted to do has failed, um, how in Laura's case, she's going to grow and develop that character, uh, especially going into Goldie Pond, um, where we do get to see... A lot more of Ray and him actually taking on a better leading role in the group itself, especially without the presence mm -hmm. of Norman there. Because Ray relied a lot on Norman as well. Now it's time for Ray to kind of step up himself now that Norman's not around, if that makes sense. It's for him to fly his wings of rebellion. Exactly, so because he never was going to rebel in that same extent as everybody else. He, he had a different idea of how he was going to rebel. Um, and now that that's out the window, now he's gonna grow and develop from there. And I'm very interested to see how Laura's gonna portray that, um, when we see the second season. He was not going to be a bird that flew. Yep. He was going to be a bird served for dinner. So he figured he might as well be charred and overcooked. Until Emma was like, Basically, fuck you. sorry. Ray is my son. Ray is very good. Laura is fantastic. Laura is my favorite performance of the show. I'm done. Okay, cool. I'll go next. Uh, so, before I start, I would just like to say, I am thou, thou art I. Thou has acquired a new bow. <laughs> God damn with the, you. For, with the awakening of the flame person. God <laughs> damn you. <laughs> You've never even played P5! But I've seen P4 and P5. You shut your whore mouth. Ooh, which arcana would, which arcana would he be? The sun. 
Fuck you. Just because you are right does not mean you are correct. Actually, actually, no. Ray would probably be the the moon. Or the hanged man. Ooh, dark. And, uh, yeah, I try, I try to think of what our kind of person I always directly chose to be like, and I'm really trying to think of where he'd fit. Uh, I have it. I have a tarot card deck. I'll bring to uh, Afest, but it's all fate related. I have an actual tarot card deck too. It's, okay, I mean, I think strength, maybe. Yeah, probably strength. We'll talk. This is not the time for this. <laughs> so let's talk about how Laura Stahl is the best actress in the show. Um. I absolutely fucking love Laura Stahl's performance. Um, I did get a couple of Hayato vibes, but it wasn't a carbon copy of Hayato, which was very well welcomed because I fucking love Laura Stahl as Hayato. If I could give Laura Stahl a dubby for Hayato, I fucking would. I can't. Um, she nails every aspect of being a young boy. She plays the dr- just that fucking speech where Ray's gonna light it up like a like a Christmas tree. Light it up like uh, it's Carly, not Carly Madell, whatever her Carly name is. Madeau. She's gonna let he's gonna let it burn, burn, burn. He's gonna burn, baby, burn Disco Inferno. Just the whole the whole speech there, the speech where uh he reveals he's the traitor. Just Lawrence Stahl nails so much of this character, and it is absolutely awesome, especially when you realize that like. Ray Seiyu is like been around the block playing little boys. Like specifically, she is very well known for playing a certain angry little boy. Which boy is that? Maria Issei, aka Kilua. Ah. My son, the winner of my heart forever, and I'm pretty sure he will be yours too. So I guess your Andrew's second son's gonna be named Kilua. Okay, that <laughs> one's that one's harder to. Wait, 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 how is that his second son? Hold on. The first one's Ray, dumbass. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Sweetie, you walked into that one. Who are you I kidding? I did. I did. Megan, please continue before she blushes to death. God damn it. You two have one whole brain cell between Shut you. Shut up! Um, so, I, I, it's just so fucking good. It is chilling when it needs to be, especially, like, okay, so we all talk about the part where Ray sets himself on fire. But the part in the episode before it, he goes, So, have you given up yet to Emma? Yes! It's so fucking good! You haven't actually given up, have you? And of course, this book says idiots can't get sick. (laughs) I know, that was the greatest. And I like that, that Laura was able to differentiate her voices. So, just, mm, mmm, 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 mmm. Oh, Laura, you're so good! Go ahead, Jet. (laughs) Okay. Um... So next to Amber Connors and uh, Rebecca Thomas, Laura Stahl, Laura Stahl was uh, one of the actors I was the least familiar with going in. Well, you know, again, aside from Hayato, but and, uh, I know my memory's vague, but I think that came out like literally around the exact same time. So, yeah, that was a thing. Uh, anyway, I, anyway, I had definitely heard her in other things before those two roles, but they didn't leave too, too big an impression on me, so I wasn't super sure what to expect going in. Uh, but I was really impressed with her here. Uh, I don't know how well uh, the rest of you remember the Death Note dub, uh, but uh, the way Laura's Ray sounded, it reminded me a lot of uh, Kathleen Westlock's Deer. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. It has been so uh, long. It's been a while, but I'm familiar with the voice. I can hear it. It's been a while, but I can hear it. Yeah. Yeah, it has like this really notable rasp to it that helps to make the that helps to make the character sound like a little more masculine, but also. 
kind of gives him a little bit of an edge that sort of matches his sour personality, and it definitely helped to make him sound, like, very distinct from everyone else in the cast, and it was just really cool to listen to. And uh, it helped that Laura's acting performance is also really impressive. Uh, out of the main re trio, uh, Ray is definitely the most pragmatic, and Laura's tone definitely reflects that. And since her Ray, you know, always sounds very aloof and cold, and can shift into being, you know, downright menacing, as we see in Episode 5, when Ray kind of reveals his true colors to Norman, and Laura definitely uh, makes that scene feel very intimidating. Uh, and uh, at the same time, though, while he might pretend like he thinks everyone else is expendable, he does care about the other kids more than he lets on, especially Norman and Emma, and that uh, Laura lets his few moments of vulnerability come across nicely. Uh, especially that whole bit right before Norman leaves, when Ray's trying to convince Norman not to sacrifice himself. And the way Ray just kind of gradually loses all his composure in that scene hit pretty hard. It was definitely one of Laura's best moments for me. Again, like the rest of you, I also really liked Laura's delivery when Ray's getting ready to set himself on fire. I thought her delivery there was fantastic. Uh, as an aside, while I don't have like any major complaints about the music in general, I was honestly kind of annoyed they did this, like, really kind of obnoxious big orchestral store for that, like... It's not like something that would have actually been out of depth though, and it was kind of distracting. I really felt like that scene just would have been completely silent, but uh, that's just me, I guess. Uh, anyway, uh, aside from that, though, I... Uh, like with the rest of this cast, I do have a couple of nitpicks on how Ray was kind of portrayed in general. I don't... I, I think his character was handled pretty well in comparison to the manga, but again, the anime Tuesday Duke cut out a lot of character monologues means we didn't really get to see a lot of Ray's emotions as much. And uh, while it doesn't like necessarily hurt the story all that much, it does kind of make Ray progression from, you know, spending his whole life believing that there's no way to fight against the farm system to kind of realizing he can pursue a happy future with his family feel. Uh, slightly less emotional. It's kind of a shame because there was this one, like, really good monologue, like, right as he's uh, carrying Jemima over the bridge. And, it, like, it really got to me, and it was, like, the moment that kind of made me fall in love with the manga, and I'm kind of really sad the anime just took that out entirely. And uh, I also kind of really wasn't too big on them, like, taking out all the flashbacks to his childhood and just doing it purely through the characters talking. Like, I know the anime did that because it would kind of break the more quote-unquote realistic aesthetic they were going for, but that was, like, pretty important world-building stuff. And so it was kind of annoying they took that out. Uh, but all those, like, nitpicks aside, uh, even in spite of not getting to maybe uh, stretch her emotional range as much as I would have preferred, I still thought Laura did a really fantastic job here. And while she was one of the actors I was kind of the least sure of going into the dub, she ended up turning in my favorite performance, and she was definitely the absolute standout here. And, uh, like, and just as an aside of Ray in general, like, I know I've talked before about, like, this being, uh, whether or not this is a mystery thriller. If this was a mystery thriller, Ray would definitely be the protagonist, because Ray is definitely the kind of character who would be the protagonist in that sort of show. He kind of would be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which leads us into our actual protagonist here. Let's talk about Emma, the actual Ray of Sunshine, the hope for the future, uh, let's just get into it. Emma is played by our writer, Erica Mendez. Erica Mendez, you'll know as Louisa May Alcott and Boongo Stray Dogs. Gone in Hunter Hunter. And Nico 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 Yasua in Love Live. Let's go ahead, Andrew, kick us off. Okay. You also have to Nico Nico Ni. No, oh, Jesus. Uh. I, I do it for you, fellow viewers. 
Nico, Nico, Nico. Oh my God, babe, never again. Uh, okay, okay, Andrew, if you ever do that again, I'm going to have to give it the Nico, Nico, knee. Uh, I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure Brendan Williams has copyrighted that at this point. Um, anyways, so oh, he's not the only one doing it. So let's be real here. Um, Erica Mendez at this point is no stranger to anime or anime dubs in the past several years. She is somebody I think we kind of take a little bit for granted because at this point we've gotten very acquainted with her uh, broad range and scope of characters. She's played all from uh, little tomboys, uh, young young teenage girls, more stoic girls, rough, tough, badass girls. The works. She's done the works. Um, she's been around. She's very capable. And yeah. She does an exceptional job as Emma. Emma, who is a bright ray of sunshine, hope, and perseverance in the face of... What, what am I going with this? Uh, she she will fight. I think the best description of Emma, and I think of the promised Neverland as a whole, is it's basically, what if you put a shonen heroine in a Gen Urobuchi fatalism show where they were just like, hey, you know we could just save everybody, right? And everybody just had their mind blows like, shit, we could do that? And that's very much what Emma is. She is she is hopeful, she believes in others, but she is not naive. Okay, she's naive a little bit, but she is not dumb. She is not ignorant. She is smart. She is calculating. She has moments of vulnerability, but she also has moments where she shows that she is smart and willing to play the game, the long game. And I think Erica does a good job playing some of those moments where where she has to show her her true colors. Like, I love that thing when she's interacting with mom and she's just kind of like, I wonder where Connie went off to, where she lets the facade slip just a little bit, but she does a good job showing that energy, joy, charisma, that fear, and also those moments of pure defeat where she has to deal with the fact that, oh, her leg just broke and, oh, my family is going to get chipped out. How do I fight this? But also coming out on top Overall, coming out stronger for it, not giving up, and fighting, and doing her best to save everybody. I think that's the thing I like about her, is that it's not about- This is not a show where everybody is going to die. This is a show about fighting the system. And Erica Mendez does a good job of making her sound, like, ditzy and cute, but also very strong-willed, menacing, badass, and cool when she needs to, with that level of- strength and charisma that a character like Emma needs. I, I know there's going to be some words said by a certain friend here about the way that she is portrayed, but I always felt that Emma was portrayed rather strong and charismatic, and I think I'll say this. Anybody who says Emma should not be the main character, y'all are weak and won't survive the winner. She is great. She leads this pack proudly, as she should. And Erica Mendez does a splendid job. Alright, Jet, before you start, you have to do it. Uh, I have to do what? Gotta give us your best Nico Nico knee. He's gonna Nico Nico knee you in the kneecaps if you do that. Uh, pl- uh pl- please don't, I'm tired. Okay, fine, you have to do it at A-Fest for God! me. God! Uh, That's worse. Okay, uh, so my feelings here are kind of all over the place, honestly, so... I'm going to preface uh, basically anything I say here by stating for the record that Erica Mendez is uh, pretty much one of my favorite voice actors, period. 
And uh, even when she's typecast, she usually delivers on a very good performance. Uh, I'm saying this because uh, when I was thinking of who I wanted to play Emma, uh, there was a very strong part of me that was kind of hoping it wouldn't be Erica necessarily. Again, not because I thought she would do a bad job. I, I mean, I figured she'd do a very good job. Uh, but because I kind of, because it was a little too easy to imagine in my mind what it would sound like, and I kind of wanted to be surprised. Uh, happy to to her actual performance, though. It both was and kind of wasn't what I was expecting, if that makes sense. Uh, like, the voice she goes with for Emma is pretty similar to some of the other little girls he's played in the past. And, uh, while she never, you know, necessarily sounds like she's putting it in or anything, it didn't deviate uh, too far from uh, what I expected of that kind of tone of voice. Uh, having said that, the tone of voice itself is what kind of surprised me a little bit because uh, I kind of expected her Emma to maybe sound a little more tomboyish and, you know, kind of closer to what her Goat or Aladdin sounded like. Uh, it said it, uh, it sounded a lot more feminine than I thought it would and uh, just closer to a regular little girl. And uh, it works pretty well for the most part. I definitely never had any trouble in her delivery or her performance. Uh, but it all kind of led into, like, uh, my big problem with uh, her portrayal of the anime in general. For me, uh, Emma felt like less of a shonen hero here and more of a shonen heroine. And uh, if you're confused with what I mean by that, I'll start by kind of going into uh, Emma's character in general. I mean, like a big uh, criticism of her I kind of saw a lot with this arc and kind of in the manga in general is that, is that Emma's quote-unquote very stupid or whatever and reckless and that she needs to, you know, be more like Norman and Ray, who are, you know, cool and awesome and, you know, she has to learn how to think ahead and whatnot. And, you know, there is, like, a little bit of truth of that, but, but the important thing to note about Emma is that while she is, you know, very optimistic and, you know, kind of overly reckless at times, she isn't stupid. And uh, she does actually kind of acknowledge herself that she has to learn how to strategize and she wants to kind of keep everyone safe. And a lot of her uh, character development over the course of the Graceville arc actually is her kind of gradually learning how to take cues from Norman and Ray and sort of learning how to think more pragmatically, which, you know, kind of all leads up to her deciding... Well, okay, it's tough to compromise, but I'm gonna have to. I have to leave the younger kids behind. So, and uh, I thought that whole arc was really cool, or at least mostly in the manga. Since, again, the anime kind of insisted on cutting out a lot of, you know, characters, monologues, and whatnot, it means that we kind of missed out on seeing a lot of uh, how Emma's thought process kind of develops over the course of the arc, so... And, and uh, without seeing her thought process, it just kind of makes a lot of her actions look a little dumber without the full context of what she's thinking. And uh, then just kind of on top of that, the anime just kind of changes her reactions to things a little bit to just kind of make her feel a little more vulnerable and that kind of annoyed me a little bit. Again, none of this is like done in a way that would be super obvious. She doesn't like, you know, trapped in a dungeon or anything. Uh, but it's just kind of done consistently enough that she felt a little less interesting than her manga counterpart to me. And it's just kind of a shame because I just really liked the idea of a Shonen Jump story that had a female protagonist. I thought that was a really cool thing. And so Emma being downplayed even a little bit is just the thing that's kind of annoying to me. And it, it does kind of make me a little worried about how the, how the parts of the story where Emma is the one you're definitely supposed to be paying attention to. Uh, but uh, all that rambling aside, and again, I know that was a long rant. Uh, I thought Erica did a really good job here and she definitely won me over in the end. Again, I'm really sorry for sounding so unprofessional on this one, but I kind of had to get that whole little rant out there, so I'll shut up now. No, that's fine. <laughs> no, 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 no. You sounded fine. totally professional and fine. You had honest criticisms of You're the good. series in general. That's fair. Uh, okay, Steph, it's your turn, and yes, you must do it. <sighs> Fuck you, no. 
Um, Do it. Nope, but I will say, because I grabbed my tarot deck, and you can ask me later, I picked up possible tarot cards for the three main leads. Anyway, um, so Emma is such a chipper, hyperactive little goober, um, and I think Erica portrays that very, very well. Emma, of course, though, has her little moments where she's not taking your bullshit. One such moment being after she finds out that Ray is actually the traitor. She, uh, kind of grips his arm and is like, you're not going to ever do it again, right? Oh, God, I love that part. You're not going to ever do it again, right? And she's, like, staring him down so intensely. And it was, oh, it was great. I think, um... I think what I, when I said earlier that many of the characters had some kind of peak moment in their performances, Don definitely had it. I think Norman had it. Um, Jeannie, I think, had one with Norman. Ray definitely had one for Laura. Erica, not so much. Emma's character didn't really have a peak moment where I thought, that is Emma, in all honesty, in the performance. It doesn't mean that the performance is bad. Erica Mendes is fantastic, but I think part of the issue is, given the circumstances of this arc in and of itself, we didn't have a chance to see, at least in my opinion, we didn't have a chance to see Erica really give a lot of oomph to Emma. I think that'll change for sure um, with the Goldie Pawn arc, because again, like both Andrew and Jet were saying, that arc is where you definitely have to have your eyes on Emma. Like, you don't have a choice. Um... And I think Erica will have a great chance to shine once we get to that section. But um, she's very chipper. She has a lot of spunk to her. She's very hopeful. Um, but she does have her moments where she is a frightened, naive little girl. Because that's one. That's the weakness that Krona um, points out. That she is very, very naive. Oh, uh, again, I promise you shut up. But, um, uh, God. Uh, 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 what? What? Okay, what? Uh, okay, I do just want to point out that that whole bit where Crone kind of calls him out, in, out for being naive. Uh, while that does kind of happen in the manga, it's sort of immediately followed up by, uh, well, Crone calls Emma naive because she was trying to carry the little ones while she was running away from Crone. Right. Uh, it turns out that Emma was only doing that as a test to kind of prepare for the actual escape she was seeing. Well, okay, well, what will happen during the actual escape will be a good idea for me to carry the other kids with me. Okay, let me not do that. So she's not actually as not- I forgot that was a thing. Yeah, so she's not actually as naive as Crone assumes she is, but again, the anime cuts it out, so... (laughs) To be fair, the audience is also aware that Emma is not as naive as Krona thinks she is. Right. At the beginning, though, Emma can come off as rather naive. (laughs) Because, I mean, there's the whole thing where, like, what is Norman good at that you're not? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> strategy, Emma, strategy! Um, she does kind of come off very naive at points. Um, but in all honesty, I, I really do enjoy Erica for sure as Emma. It's definitely interest, definitely different and interesting performance than what I've heard from um, Erica Mendez in general. But I don't think Emma has had the opportunity to, like, Erica has had the opportunity to really make Emma shine. Not quite yet. Like, there wasn't a moment in the entire show so far that made me go, yep, this is definitely the peak for Emma. Man, how many more limbs does she have to break to impress you, Stephanie? God. Shut She's up. gotta at least lose one more facial feature. 
Also, Stop also it. that's actually totally a thing I forgot about Ray. I love that scene where uh, Ray, they joke about Ray's like, oh, I gotta break my arm so we can delay that shipment too. And they're like, yeah, let's br break my arm and get sick. <laughs> Sorry, I interjected there. I just thought it was fun. Anyway, but yeah, I, it's, it's a solid performance, but at least to me, as weird as it is, I haven't seen that moment from Erica's performance as Emma that really just is like, okay, this is that moment for me. Uh, it's probably weird considering some of the shit that Emma has to deal with, but that's how I at least feel about it. Cool. I'll try to make this quick because we've all been here for forever. I first of all want to say that one of my favorite things that they do for official art of Emma is that if she has to wear earrings because if another character wears earrings, she'll wear them both on one ear. <laughs> um... There's there's actually official art of her dressed as Tanjiro from the uh from Demon Slayer, yep. where she's got Tanjiro's uh, earrings, but they're both on one ear. I really like that detail. That is still my favorite thing about people drawing Emma. Um, is what they 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 make sure to draw her with one ear. Uh, Erica Mendez is a solid Emma. She is not the choice. I actually thought that Erica Mendez like, let's be real. My greatest fear going into the show is that Erica Mendez would be Norman. <laughs> Christina V would be Ray. Oh, um, oh boy. Uh, okay, I know you slipped up there, but I actually really would have liked to hear Erica Mendez as Norman. <laughs> I kind of would have too. Like, I, I would have, I would have, like, part of me, like, is like, that would be really cool, but also part of me is like, please don't just make that Gonan because I think in Japan they're played by Gonan Kilua. Uh, <laughs> no, Maya Uchida is not gone. As, no, uh, Megami, Megami Han is gone, and, uh, Megami Han is definitely not Emma. She's not in the show yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my fear was like, please don't be gone in Killua. Um, but I, trust me, even if it was, that wouldn't have been bad performances. I just I just would have had to talk about that differently. So I was actually really surprised that Erica Mendez was playing a little girl. Because the only time I actually remember Erica Mendez playing a young female character, like a childish female character, I tried to purge because it was Jack the Ripper. Um, <laughs> hey, she was good in that. She was great as Jack the Ripper. I just hate that character. I hate the design. Um, she's be she's better with the cloak. Debatable. Um, so I I think Erica Mendez is solid. I think that she hits all of the notes that uh, Emma needs to hit. Uh, I agree with Steph, though, that Emma hasn't really had that moment for me, because yeah. it, when Emma does have, like, the one moment I could really think of that Emma has, it's also done in silence. She doesn't say anything when she jumps off the wall. Yep. Or she just says goodbye, and it's not like a big speech like Norman or Ray had. She just as, kinda, like, as, 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 it's really worth noting that whole scene with her and Isabella on the wall that doesn't have- It's only know. in the anime, because in the manga, Isabella finds the the aftermath. She never yeah, sees them. Yeah, she never actually sees them escape. Which, so. I, personally, I think that's an interesting twist. Yeah, yeah, I think it was an interesting twist. I think it was an interesting idea. I just kind of didn't like how it was executed. I mean, it was just kind of weird to me that Isabella was literally just standing there. Yeah. Because it's like, because she didn't try to stop them. And she didn't go? Yeah, because she literally just broke her leg like two episodes ago. <laughs> um, I do think that Erica Mendes screams when she gets her leg broken and she kind of has some moments, but... I think it's a solid performance. I, I really wouldn't change anything about it, but I want to see the stability in this performance uh, and then have it elevate when they go into Goldie Pond, knowing that there is a season two coming for this. And I'm pretty sure Autoplex will get it and obviously dub it if season one's anything, but it's Autoplex and who fucking knows. Um, so, uh, with that being said, let's get to our final thoughts. Jet, go oh, first. Uh, <laughs> like, Damn it, why me? Go first because you're going to take the longest. All right, all right, all right. 
Um, so, again, if you couldn't tell by all my rating here, I really like the Promise Neverland manga. It's pretty much my favorite thing running in Jonah Jump right now. Uh, unfortunately, I don't quite feel the same way about the anime, and while again, it's kind of hard to perfectly sum up all my problems with that. Uh, I felt like the big thing here just kind of mostly came down to that the tone really felt like the anime staff um, really thought this was supposed to be a mystery thriller and wanted it to be uh, ultra serious and stuff, so they kind of downplay a lot of the shonen elements of it. And uh, again, the thing is that while the mystery stuff is kind of what helped to make Neverland a hit, it's also a lot of the quote-unquote really goofy shonen elements like all the fantasy world building and yes, all the excessive internal monologues that kind of helped to uh, that kind of helped to work in contrast with all the super serious scenes of the story to kind of give the whole thing a lot of heart. And that heart wasn't quite there in the anime for me. Again, while I don't think the actual product here we ended up with is like objectively bad, it is a perfectly fine show. It is a perfectly fine show on its own, and I am kind of glad people liked it, and hopefully more people will check out the manga now. I couldn't help but kind of be annoyed and wonder what we could have gotten if it had fallen into the hands of people who did kind of get the material a little better. Uh, I mean, if I were being blunt and I were, like, introducing someone to the series and they asked me what to go with between the anime and the manga, I'd probably point them towards the manga first. Uh, but if you are going with the anime, this uh, it has a pretty solid dub, and I thought everyone here did a pretty good job. I'd say I'm looking forward to seeing how they handle the rest of the story, but I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of mixed on how much I want to see them too, unless they change, like, most of the anime stuff, because again, uh, the rest of the story is very, very different from this arc. I mean, although I am kind of curious to see if they'll get Shinichi Suave or Ray Chase for a certain character who comes up later. Oh, I think oh, I know fuck, Ray Chase would about. be good for that character. <laughs> oh, Anyways, oh, yes, mm. please. <laughs> I know what you're talking about, but yeah. I know what you're talking about, too. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. Andrew, go. Speed round. Lightning round. I'm also a big fan of the manga and it's itself. I may not feel like as passionately as Jet does about the particular adaptation. I accept that there are some changes and creative differences in regards to adapting the material. I I think I personally stand... Um, I'd rather an interesting adaptation of the series that has passion and character than something that is just kind of like a mediocre retelling of the manga. Like... I think what makes the anime still worth it to me is that while it may have a different thing to say, it may downplay some of the more, like, cool shonen elements to me, I think there's a lot of passion and care that goes into the animations of certain facial features and reactions. The score of this is absolutely gorgeous, and I can tell there is a true, like, passion and care that goes into the product of this, and I think it is still very interesting and has its own vision. I think some of that's going to have to change a little bit when it comes to a new season, but I think the anime does a very solid job overall. The dub is pretty spectacular. There's a couple of little rough patches here and there, some nitpicks, but overall, the direction, the adaptative work, and a lot of the performances with a particular standout in the form of Laura Stahl, who I think is definitely somebody to watch for sure. This is a very strong dub. Highly recommend this when this comes to streaming and or home video in a little bit, because most of us were going off of the Toonami broadcast, the DVRs, or the Adult Swim website. But yes, I highly recommend the show, and even more so recommend checking out the manga if you want to compare the two. Promise Everland's a fantastic show and series that's worth your time and attention, and it's a big hit, and you should check it out. What the fuck? <laughs> Jen, are you playing Duel Links right now? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Go.
God damn it, Jen, I love you. <laughs> We're having a passionate heart-to-heart right now. We're having a passionate heart-to-heart about the complexities of this anime adaptation in regards to letting our health up. And you have to pull up Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links. Is that how you're treating us? Why the fuck Is not? that what you think Duel of us? Come on. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Please let that. Please let that stay in the final episode. Please let that stay. That's great. I'm so sorry. I'm too tired for this shit, Steph. Please continue. I'm so sorry, Stephanie. Go. Don't no, be. Don't, don't be. be. That, that was great. Great. <laughs> don't be, Jet. We love you. That was great. Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Links. <laughs> I summon. I summon Emma in attack God. position. <laughs> Norman in defense mode. Um. No, Norman's a trap card. Oh, you're right. Ooh. Go ahead, Anyway. Um, so, I've also become a rather big fan of this series. Thanks, Jet. <laughs> um, again, he told me to read the manga a while ago. Oh, uh, and I do really love this series as well. Um, it's a very interesting premise and solid storytelling. Um, the adaptation, of course, has its flaws. Um, I know Jet... If he was talking to someone to introduce this franchise to them, he said manga first. I'm actually the opposite. I would say anime first only because you can go and read the manga and get more details after the fact and you can be less angry at the anime. That's just my opinion. Um, you still get a great story either way. You get a great story either way. Um, in terms of the dub itself, it is one of the stronger ones that I've actually seen this year. Uh, despite a few interesting and weird little flaws here and there with, like, the secondary characters. And again, with, um, Krona just, for some weird reason, having a Southern Belle kind of accent for two seconds. But, um, outside of that, the writing and directing is fantastic. The casting, especially for the three main characters, I really enjoyed a lot, especially the interactions they have with each other. Um, and a lot of... The performances are just downright spectacular, especially for a lot of the newer underutilized actors in the LA area. Um, and especially like Laura Stahl. Oh, sweet lord. I gotta keep her on my radar for sure. Um, and then Jeannie, I think she's a great performance as well as Norman. And Emma, Erica's always fantastic. Who am I kidding? Um, but in general, this is a very strong and very solid dub for sure. Um, and. I I am just so excited. I'm excited for next year, for when the show comes back. Because <laughs> I'm very I'm very curious to see how they're gonna adapt Goldie Pond. I'm hoping they're gonna adapt it a hell of a lot better than they did with Grace Fields, sure. Um, but I am very excited. And yeah, if you want to see a fun little show with an interesting story and premise, you should definitely go watch Promise Neverland or read the manga. Cool. I'm gonna try to make this quick. I thought the stuff was great. Uh, I think this is probably my favorite uh, dub that isn't a a remake, a sequel, or a reboot that was dubbed out over on the West Coast this year. There is obviously a sequel dub that was being done over in California that I also really fucking like. Um, I'd say this is a solid, solid contender for dub of the year. I thought it was really strong. I thought that the writing was great. I think the acting is great, uh, aside from a couple little secondary hitches. Um, Laura Stahl as Ray is an absolute delight, and... Her performance was, if she hadn't broken out to you as, uh, from some of other stuff, or as Hayato uh, in JoJo's, because this was actually, I, I want to say, like, JoJo's and this was airing around the same time. They were airing pretty close to each other, I'm yeah. pretty sure they were very close Specifically, together. specifically the arc where Hayato is, like, really big in JoJo's. Mm-hmm. Um, even those two performances sound vastly different from each other. I think that she should really, really be proud of herself. Um... 
overall, I don't think you can go wrong watching the anime and reading the manga. Um, I don't know if you'll have the same visceral reaction as Jet. I think the dub is a really strong way to watch the show. Um, and then just for the sake of time, I'm going to run through everybody really quickly. If you'd like to follow Jet, you can follow him at Divine Nega. He also does reviews on his blog, Animation Infinity. I believe this season you were doing Astro Lost in Space and what other oh, show? Oh, no, just Astro. I didn't write any reviews today because, you know, I was prepared for this. So, tomorrow, probably. Cool. Uh, yeah. Jet, uh, doing reviews for Astro Lost in Space. Uh, you can follow Andrew at MangaMan9000. He'll be known as Classy Spartan. You can watch both him and Jet over on Podcast ONA. Uh, with Alex and the gang. Uh, if you want to follow Steph, it's Lilac Anime Review. Review spelled R-E-V-U-E. She also has a blog that she very infrequently updates at Life and Times. Life and Times uh, otaku.wordpress.com. My name is Megan. You can follow me at Queen Ear 2. I shitpost. If you'd like to follow the Dub Talk Podcast, you can follow us at Dub Talk Podcast on Twitter, Tumblr, Twitch, Instagram, everywhere you can, Facebook, everywhere you can think of. If you'd like to support us on the regular, like we mentioned at the beginning of the at the beginning of the episode, you can become a Patreon if you're a $5 plague. We'll, t- we'll read out any name that you have put yourself as, like Nico Robin, but with yaoi hands. Uh, if you can't support us on the regular, but you like what we do and you'd like to support us as a one-time thing, we also do have a link where you can buy us a coffee down below. Oh, Chris. Promise Neverland. Where can people either see it? Probably not anymore right now. Uh, right now, you could potentially, by the time this is up, the dub may still be on, uh, Adult Swim's website. If not, you can watch the subtitle version on Crunchyroll, Funimation, Hulu, and I believe High Dive. And the manga is available from Viz Media if you are interested in that. Yeah, and the manga is available from Viz Media, and if you have the Shonen Jump app, you can pay $2 a month to go through all of Shonen Jump's vault, where the entirety of the manga from chapter one to the current, the current chapters as they are released weekly in Japan on Sundays, or sometime other than the week depending on Japanese holidays you can go ahead and read it on there legally support the original creators also be I believe you if you really want a great art Twitter to follow please follow the artist on Twitter uh, uh Demi do I think yes Pomisuka Desiku she does a beautiful amazing art with that being said we have finally ziplined our way we are running through the woods say goodnight you idiot children oh my god good night night everybody we're free I gotta say this escape was pretty Frickin' lit. Really? Good night. Otaku on my friends. Otaku on my friends. Good night, everybody. Fire. God. I quit. (laughs) So when did the saxophone show up?